What have you got there, mate? Just a glass of wine. All right. How is it? It's all right, I guess. I mean, obviously, it's not really delicious, like a pint from Beer 52. Well, it's a good job that this episode of Podcast Secrets of the Pharaohs is sponsored by Beer 52, the world's number one beer club. With Beer 52, you'll receive a case of beer every month featuring craft beers from all over the world, including Belgium, California, New Zealand and more. As well as getting eight free beers, you'll also receive the award-winning magazine Ferment, as well as a couple of different snacks. Perfect for a night in, or an innocent picnic in the park. For the last time, it was a picnic. You couldn't see the snacks. We had two different types of snacks. Best of all, you can pause or cancel your membership at any time, so you don't need to worry about the ombudsman coming to get you if you want to take a break from your membership. So seriously, what are you waiting for? If you want to get started with a free case of beer, head to beer52.com forward slash peep to access your first case for free. Eight beers, Beer 52. Eight. That's insane. All you need to do is pay the £5.95 for postage. And don't worry if you're not a fan of dark beers, there is a light option available. So that's beer52.com forward slash peep to get your first Beer 52 case for free. Poor me. Poor me. Pour me another glass from Beer 52. Cheers. Cheers. of Podcast Secrets of the Pharaohs, a podcast all about discussing and reviewing the British sitcom Peep Show. My name's Tom Harrison and I'm joined as always by Rob Grayer. Hello! We've been away for a little while, haven't we? Yeah. We? <laughs> it's, uh, it's been an interesting few months. It's actually been longer since Series 3 ended. Well, it's a long so. while since we even recorded the Patterson-Joseph special because we recorded yeah. that. We dropped that at the beginning of September we're now, as we're recording, it's the 2nd of November, as we're recording today. Yeah, so it's been two crazy. months since our last release. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but at least, our oh, mate, the last recording we did was the Dobby Club. Yeah. And that was, and that was four months, three, four months ago. That yeah. was end of August. Three months ago. Wow. We are back. We are back with a bang. We are. Uh, for that, Thank you very much for all the patience that you've all shown. I know some people have been asking when we were coming back. Uh, I, unfortunately, was one of the thousands that lost their jobs when Thomas Cook went under. Uh, but I'm pleased to say I'm back in the land of unemployment. I've been hauled onto the life raft, the JLB life raft. <laughs> um, Got on that last beamer outside, go on. <laughs> yeah, so... I will be back in the the land of work, so we thought, why not pick up the podcast again? Yeah. So here we are. Uh, have you been listening to much in particular while we've been off, Rob? Any podcasts? I've really got into, and I know I'm late to the game, but my dad wrote a porno, which I know oh, you're a big fan big, of. Big, big but fan in, of. in our hiatus from recording, I've um, really been hammering that, really got into that. Um Quite like to, there's a Conspiracy Theories podcast, which is an American podcast, so you have to forgive me, I can't remember the name of the, sort of the names of the presenters, um, but that certainly sort of kept me entertained. Um, What's that one called? It's called Conspiracy Theories. Oh, right, it's literally okay. called Conspiracy <laughs> Theories. Um, and then the other one, which I think has only got a certain run to it, is uh, the Fred and Rose West tapes, oh, which is by okay. a journalist called Howard Soons, which is quite, it's sort of hitting the top of the iTunes chart whenever it's released but obviously there's only so much of the story they can talk about so I think he's possibly only got a couple of episodes 
left that's a wide array of podcasts yeah, uh, yeah like you say i'm a big big fan of my dad wrote a porno that's one of the few podcasts where i consistently laugh out loud even if i'm silent on a train like yeah. by myself like i actually can't help myself but we laughing. listen to it like me and my wife listen to it in bed and like we'll be, i'm like we need to sleep <laughs> like, but i'm literally like i'll just hear her like belly laughing next to me <laughs> Does that kill all uh, romance? In well, the yeah, I was like, <laughs> nothing about this is sexual. No. I'll never forget the the uh, like the six inch rivets on the Titanic oh, is one yeah. of my favourite lines. I die when I hear that. I think what's so good about it is just like, although obviously it's a linear podcast, like you should listen to it episode by episode. You could quite easily pick it up at any random point yeah. and be like, oh, this is still bloody hilarious. Like, yeah, just... I might have missed how the hell Belinda has now ended up in, like... <laughs> Moscow yeah, to Rio but... de Janeiro, <laughs> but she's still shagging someone. Yeah. <laughs> no, it doesn't matter. His name's either Javier or Dimitri, yeah, let's depending on where she stereotype is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> literally. I love it. Yeah, big shout out. I mean, I can't imagine there are many people that are listening to us who haven't heard of My Dad Wrote a Porno. But yeah, but if you haven't, then absolutely check it out. Yeah, maybe it's... some of our American listeners might have might have skipped them by. Yeah, we'll definitely check it out. Yeah. Very, very funny. Not as funny as us, obviously, no. but you know. Still don't come here good. for don't come here for the humour. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so we are back with series four, which is we're almost halfway. Well, we're a third of the way through now. Um, we are, but after yeah. the end of this, we're going to be nearly halfway, which is a bit crazy, actually. And uh, we're nearly approaching our first birthday as well, so yeah. we might have to do a little something for that, I'm thinking. A little look back on all things yeah. Podcast Secrets of the Pharaohs, which should be fun. Robert and David, if you're listening, we'd love you to join us for, uh, <laughs> yeah, for our absolutely. special episode. Um, so thank you very much for, for all of you listening and getting in touch, especially while we've been off and we continue to be stunned by it all really and the amount of people that are listening from all over the world yeah. continues to amaze me i think we're about 70 countries yeah, now it's crazy which is just ridiculous think this see. time last year this was just a twinkling in our eye we yeah. hadn't even st- recorded our first episode exactly so it's unbelievable so thanks very much for all the reviews all the recommendations all the twitter interaction all that good stuff Really, really love it. I feel like our gap has sort of been re- reflective of the gap that then happened between the series. Like we've 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 left a good series three and four gap. Yeah. And actually, when the show actually came out, and I'm sure we'll touch on this when we start reviewing, there was a long gap. There was nearly was it nearly eighteen months. Yeah, between definitely. the end of series three and end of series four, we couldn't leave you guys waiting that long. <laughs> um, but there was certainly a, a big gap in comparison to the relatively short between one, two, and three. Yes, and we think that's because this, there was this potential for yeah, they were going to can it, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I do think looking into series four as well, I for me it's arguably the best series, and I'm not going to make that judgment just yet yeah. while we're still doing <laughs> the podcast. And I think that one of the reasons is is because it's really there's a really solid arc throughout the entire series. Yes. So from the beginning, it's like right, they're engaged. And it it's all, all leading up to the wedding, yeah. and then the wedding happens, and the wedding is, I would say, it's in the top five episodes well, of the it, show quite did easily. Did it win our World Cup? I think it might have done. Yeah, it certainly so got to the final. So it's way, way up there as one of the best episodes. And it also has that, even better than Quantocking, I think, that sense of it could be the finale of the whole thing. Yeah. You could easily cut it off at that point. Yeah. And we walk away and it makes perfect sense. I think as well, series four and probably more so series five, where where I think the show came into the public consciousness. Like, it wasn't a mainstream show. It was on obviously on Channel 4, 
but it wasn't a mainstream show. And I think four and five really sort of hit it up into the stratosphere. I think Mitchell and Webb became a lot bigger in other things that they were doing. And yes. I think that also launched this show. Yeah, to be totally. A lot more, a lot more popular. Yeah, I think for me, like I was saying, series four probably arguably my favourite because I think all the episodes are great, and I would say four of them are absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Overall, just like evens out as this incredible series for me. Yeah, it wasn't until we finished series three and we looked at what the six episodes were in series four, we were like, "Fucking hell!" Yeah, like, they are just like almost back bang, to back bang, classics. Bang. Like yeah. you got what you got this. You got conferences. Is that serious? That's the next episode. Yeah. Got the wedding at the end, which again, like we said, is probably one of the best episodes in the whole show. Yeah, you got the stag. Yeah, it's a great one. Oh, There's it's loads. incredible! It's really, really good stuff. Can't wait to get into that. Really. So, shall we start with uh, a synopsis? Let's for go. Sophie's yeah. parents. So, after his sham of a proposal to Sophie, Mark is set to meet Sophie's parents for the first time, bringing Jeremy along for moral support. As the weekend goes on, Mark wrestles with his feelings towards Soph, contemplating whether he should break off the engagement or not. Meanwhile, Jeremy gets to know one of Sophie's parents a little too well. There we go, Sophie's parents. What did you make overall? It's a cracker, isn't it? It's such a good return. And I know I think I say this at the beginning of each of the series. Yeah. I'm like, cracking return. But it really is. I think it wasn't until re-watching it that I went, oh yeah, that was in this episode. That was in this episode. That was in this episode. And like, it's a, it's a half an hour episode in the same way that all the others are. But there's so much in this episode. Yeah. There's so much content. There's so much of like, Mark's personality is just, whilst it's consistent with the first three series, I think he is sort of taking this like downwards trajectory that he takes the whole way through series four. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, and which obviously culminates in, in, in Wedding. But it's just an absolute corker of an episode. Absolute corker. Yeah, I think it's probably the strongest series opener to date. I'm a big fan. I like mugging. Dance class in particular is a big one. Warring factions I've spoken about as being on the slightly weaker side. But for me, this one, like you say, is just brilliant. Like the amount yeah. it packs in to every single scene. Right from the really, beginning. Really great. Like, right yeah. from the like nuances of like Mark having a new beard, you're like, oh yeah, we're back. And like yeah. that whole that whole opening like scene with him and Sophie. Yeah. And you're like, this is this is going this is going somewhere from here. Yeah. And it sort of fits that rule that we talked about, that sort of golden rule where if you take the characters out of the usual yeah. habitat, great stuff happens and you get that in spades in this episode. And I think because we have three new new characters yeah, you've got all of uh, Sophie's family in you, aren't they? Yeah. So actually, those three characters, they're so completely different from each other. They all have an impact on the episode in some way. It just makes for a really good episode. Yeah, I think that, the, the change in setting and the the amount of pressure that's on Mark for needing to make this good impression, like you say, with new yeah. characters on top of it, it just blends to make this like incredible cocktail. All the ingredients for a great episode yeah. are, are thrown in there. Um, and then at the same time, you're also wondering... Does any of this really matter? Because at any moment, this whole situation could just implode on itself. So you're almost waiting. Yeah. There's this time bomb. And you, is it going to go off? Is it not? And all this stuff's going on beforehand. I think you sort of forget at the beginning of the episode. And I think we're sort of rolling. We now, we've now started rolling actually talking about it. You sort of forget at, because how normal it is at the beginning of this episode. You sort of forget how series three had ended. And the way that the proposal had happened. 
Yeah. Like just for that split second, you'd be like, oh yeah, they're they're, they're looking at their wedding list. Like they're they're buying stuff for their wedding list. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, lovely. And then you're like, oh, he doesn't want to marry her, does he? I've just remembered. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Uh, yeah, this if, is all a facade. If you'd been watching it in the sort of Netflix era where you binged it and you rolled on from yeah. you know, episode six, series three, and then just, you know, that 20 seconds yeah. and then the next one starts and you think, bloody hell, Mark's got a beard. The proposal is still clearly quite far down the line then if yeah. they're picking out their wedding gift list. So Mark's clearly, you know, he's not. He is sticking to it when he says to Jez at the end of series three, like, he's going to do it out of embarrassment or fear. Okay, so let's get into it then. We open with a situation that I think anyone who's ever been in a relationship can sort of relate to, and that is shopping as a couple. Well, they're they're doing their wedding list, aren't they? Yeah. So for men, I think it's something is... Mate, having done a wedding list, (laughs) having shopped my wedding list, it's... My good lady wife won't be listening to this. So I can say <laughs> so what I like. <laughs> no, it's re- it's it's really fun because you literally have like I don't think theirs was like this, but we had a zapper that just went yeah. around and scanned. We're like, oh, we'll have a bit of this. We'll have a bit of this. We'll have a bit of this. <laughs> but then midway through, my wife had a like massive pang of guilt of being like, "Why are we doing this? Why are we putting all the expensive stuff on? Why are we expecting people to buy those expensive stuff <laughs> for us?" I was like, "It's literally our wedding. Like that's what people do. It is just what people do." Yeah. And um, we didn't have any arguments over sugar bowls. I have to say, <laughs> which is something we did. But it's fun. It is fun because you just be like, "Oh, I don't. I, I, there's no way I'm going to need this, but someone will probably buy it for me." <laughs> yeah. Why not? Put it on. It's not on you, is it? To no. get it. So if you yeah stick that you want it, then why not? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I suppose that is a little bit different then because normally. I always quite like watching couples when I'm out shopping yeah. with my partner, and I think, oh, like, yeah, he's he's not having a great time either. <laughs> we sort of exchange looks, and you walking around like outfit or something, you're like, yeah, uh, yeah, you're in it with me. We're yeah. all in the same boat, sort of thing. It's Saturday afternoon. Yeah, but I think before they even say a word to each other, you just know that Mark's gonna have something funny to either do, mm. say, or think like while they're shopping because we all think the same thing as yeah. men when we're all shopping so you just know that mark's gonna have something that yeah. relatable perhaps dialed up to 11 but it's still gonna be something good out of it i mean he's funny enough it is when he's shopping solo like when he's doing the food shop yeah. like let alone when he's with jez and now sophie so we're gonna get something good but they like mark's whole spiel here either what he's saying in his head or what he's saying to Sophie is just incredible. When he's just like, if someone wants to buy us the gold standard of sugar bowls, I say milk them till they're dry. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. He's just like, he's that sort of guy. So am I, that was kind of my approach when yeah. I was doing it. Um, and then in his head, he's just like, How the fuck did it come to this? I'm getting married to a woman I may not love and I've got stupid fashionable hair all over my face. Do you mind? No, sure, of course not. It's only a sugar bowl. Hopefully I won't even get married. If I do, eventually it'll get chipped or broken. Then I'll get the sugar bowl of my dreams. Because she's trying to summarise their relationship as a sugar bowl. (laughs) Oh, I know. What a nonsense. She looks slightly more normal. I think she looks slightly more like... Uh, Yeah, I have to say, Sophie's come back 
like the the barometer had, had swung wildly yeah. one way and now it's coming back and I do like Sophie a lot yeah. more from now on. She still has these Do you hear that? <laughs> We're not hating on the female characters. <laughs> she still does have these outbursts occasionally and some But that's them... part of her personality. Yeah. And I think it then Sophie is a much more like fully formed character from now on, I think. Yeah. Whereas they'd gone way too far the other way and now they're like, Oh, okay, let's now we know a bit like they figured her out, so like let's rein her back in a little bit here. So Mark then um, is backed into a corner by Sophie when she's sort of saying, "So what are you going to wear for my birthday?" And Mark, this I such I don't even think is that good a line, but it's Mark's David Mitchell's delivery of it when he's like, um, "Some of my clothes." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, dumb fuck. Obviously. <laughs> but I, I think that is a typical. That's where I think I have some similarities to David. I think most men they see clothes more. They're just a resource, aren't yeah. they? Like we and need. It's them. Like I've got. What does he say? Something. Like, I've got three pairs of trousers and like a dozen shirts that haven't haven't been worn. worn out. Like yeah, they're not worn out yet. So it's very much like practicality, functionality. Well, she clothes. refers to his new look, doesn't she? Because yes. she's like, they don't go with your new look. Which is just a beard. Yeah. That's it. Well, he says he's a bearded concubine. Doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although she does get him to buy that hoodie, that monstrosity of a hoodie that couldn't be. Well, she manages less. to get him to buy that, and she also tries to get him to buy that T-shirt that's got Chairman Mao on it. What about this? You do know who that is, don't you? Yeah, it's Chairman Mao, isn't it? Exactly. The man was responsible for the deaths of 60 million people. I don't want him on my chest. 60 million? That's more than Stalin, isn't it? It's not a competition, Soph. Although, if it was, Mao would probably win. That's, I find this really strange. Chairman Mao was, like, absolutely, like, abominable human. Yeah, and especially the sort of place where they're in a... It doesn't say where they are, no. but you imagine it's uh, John, John Lewis, Lewis or something, and you're just never going to get the, a place where you can do your wedding gift list. And a Chairman and a, Mao is, yeah. is the equivalent of having, right, well, he says, like, Stalin. Yeah. Having Stalin or Hitler on a T-shirt... Mm. Like you, you'd be able to buy that from like a niche, like individual, like independent shop, possibly, yeah. or on the net. But you wouldn't be buying that. You wouldn't be getting a Chairman Mao T-shirt. What does it say? Does it say anything on it? Can you I remember? Think, I think it's just his just picture. a picture. That's even yeah. stranger. It's not even like a joke. So after they've gone through the uh, rigmarole of discussing who was worse, Stalin or, or Chairman Mao, he then tries on that 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 jacket, doesn't he? he just it doesn't have a zip. Oh, yeah, this is my favourite, one of my favourite lines of the yeah. episode, I think, because I just feel exactly the same way. Ooh, these are nice. Try these on. This is, this is just a zip. There's no pocket to this zip. So? That's the way things are these days. Let's just put a zip here, a swastika there. Why not? Who knows what these things were once used for? Who the hell even cares? And that's just so true. And whilst we say that Sophie and Mark look like a normal couple, I think it's only taken the first two minutes for us to discover that Mark is still just as negative and as cynical and um, is deeply unhappy in his relationship (laughs) as he was at the end of series three. And yeah, I think that line is underrated with the zip here and swastika there. It's like, Mark, you've gone to... You've you've raised it to ten straight away. There's no chill. (laughs) Um, so we head out of uh, John Lewis or wherever we are with Sophie and Mark back to the flat, don't we? And, yes. And Hans and Jez are sitting there having a having a whale of a time. They're watching Blair, Tony Blair. Um, yeah. Announce that he's stepping down. Now, 
in my research for this episode, I was trying to work out the details of this because this Blair announced that he was stepping down in September 2006, announced that he would step down within the year. Yeah. But didn't actually tender his resignation to the Queen until June 2007 or something. Right. But this episode aired in April 2007. Right. So I'm imagining they're watching what happened in September, which is when I imagine it was probably filmed, to say this is him announcing that he's going to step down within the year, not actually stepping down and doing that sort of speech. Um, But they're discussing what Blair's going to do and... um, Hans's quip is that maybe he'll become an ethical porn star. Yeah. <laughs> or create a supergroup with Blair on guitar, Bottom on vocals, Clinton on sax. Yeah. And now, Geldof's going to shit. <laughs> yeah. Now, I think they know, I think our listeners probably know who all of those people are. None of those are British people who need explaining. Everyone knows who Tony Blair is. I should hope so. He was the UK Prime Minister. From the from... years 1997 to 2007. Perfect. <laughs> My... And his resignation was a big. It was a big deal, wasn't it? Because I think Tony Blair was one of the few... He wasn't hated by any... Like, I don't think so, anyway. My memory of it was that he no one hated him. No, I think since he resigned and we had, like, the um, Iraq... Um, yeah. Iraq inquiry and that sort of stuff, I think he's become slightly more ridiculed and slightly more hated upon and wanted to be tried for war crimes and all of this sort of stuff. I think the thing with Blair... Was if you think we are, we were both born in the nineties. People who were born in the eighties, coming into political, like their political consciousness, Blair was all we knew. Yeah. So like, I we were born at the beginning of the nineties. Blair was prime minister basically from when I was like out of nappies. Yeah. <laughs> till I wasn't in nappies till I was five. But like, you know, <laughs> you take my point. Until I was then starting to be aware of what politics was in like two thousand and six, two thousand and seven. Yeah. Um, he's all we knew he was all we knew yeah um, and actually like love him or hate him he was a big part of the UK's like culture and I think he transcended a lot of different areas of that like he was a modern prime minister and then at this point Mark arrives home from his shopping trip and we can see that he's wearing a new hoodie which just so happens to be the same as the one that Jez is wearing and I think Mark it couldn't look worse on Mark the fact that it's got isn't it ghetto written across yeah. it yeah and the way it even like sits on Mark as well looks awful. Mark's not a hoodie wearer, is he? No, like, he's not. He's, the problem is, this was during the David Mitchell years where he, he sort of was carrying a bit of extra timber. <laughs> and he didn't like... So the hoodie just like exacerbates the fact that, that he didn't really have much of a neck. <laughs> <laughs> so like the hoodie goes really high up on his neck. And it just then literally means that his head is sitting like on his body. Yeah. <laughs> um, shout out David Mitchell. <laughs> <laughs> you look great now, David. Yeah, you're, you're svelte. You've got your you've got the uh, the 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 beard that you so hated. In this yeah. Series. Now you're rocking it. Yeah. So the two of them sort of quite comically argue about the situation where Jeremy like, immediately wants him to take it off, and he's saying that because they're clashing and Mark's quite right to say like no we're not clashing we're matching like that's the complete opposite of clashing well Mark's reaction as he first comes back in he's like oh how funny yeah like, he tries to almost laugh yeah. it off doesn't he and Mark doesn't care about fashion enough does he to be no aware of he's just like oh how funny yeah and then it's when Jez gets outraged then Mark becomes outraged but Mark must understand why Jez is annoyed so that the argument eventually ends with 
Jeremy relenting, taking it off in a strop, like throwing it on the floor, doesn't he? Well, Mark's just like, I'm wearing it in. It's like, it's not a pair of brooms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, Jez relents and he takes it off. And we discover that they are going to... Well, we don't discover straight away where they're going, but we discover that they're going to Sophie's parents. Yes. Um, and I find it quite odd that Jez has been invited on this trip. Yeah. Especially since it's Sophie that's invited him, and we don't discover immediately why he's been invited. Yeah. So we'll leave that to that sort of discussion <laughs> a bit later. But I remember watching it being thinking, this is strange. It's a bit like when Mark invited Jeremy on their like that cottage getaway. Yeah. To begin with, I thought it was just a really bad way of forcing Jez to be there because otherwise Jez then can't feature in the episode. So I thought it was this really like yeah. blunt way of just keeping him in. And to be honest, I do still think it is that, but at least they've come up with a semi like plausible reason to get him along and as well as this reason which of course we're going to go into and i suppose Mark's it would have been too unrealistic to the only way we could get jez in otherwise is for him and hans to be on some sort of like outing to be able to to be able to set that up it would make it even more unrealistic yeah. like we we said that when they did the quantocking episode the fact that hans and jez came along because he was going cold turkey was a bit on the cusp of being a bit daft yeah, and they were supposed to be, like, finishing their demo. Yeah, and they needed a hotel room to do it. Yeah. Either way, yeah, this this is just on that edge of being a bit being a bit silly. So Jez then turns to him and says, but what about your doubts, your crippling doubts? And Mark just tries to sort of sidestep it, and he just says, look, I picked up music of the Royal Tournament for only £2.99. Yeah. Pretty tasty. Yeah. Um, and this is so, like, typical of their relationship where they just try and dodge the question that the, the other one is... Yeah, asking. where they're having two conversations. Yeah, and so. <laughs> neither one will relent and let the other yeah. one actually speak. Um, and Jez just is like, or are you just going to bury them until they erupt as a massive stroke and I have to carry you around on my back for 30 years? Which is the second time Jez, in the run of the show so far, has made a reference to having to like look after Mark in some sort of bad events. He talks in the previous episode about having to wheel him around the National Army Museum, yeah. doesn't he? Jez um, really seems to believe that Mark's just going to have the, like, just an aneurysm or something. <laughs> yeah. um, so Mark sort of tries to answer him back, and he's like, no, I might have mentioned some doubts, but that was pub talk. I'm going to raise a point here. That wasn't pub talk. They had that conversation, stone cold sober, yeah. when they were walking um, on the Quantox. Yeah, totally. They weren't pissed. They were both sober. It was a completely normal conversation. And it wasn't like any of the previous conversations about the build-up to it were done under the influence either. Yeah. And the moment it had happened, like a minute afterwards, they were already discussing how Mark didn't actually want to do it. Yeah. So this whole time, he's not wanted to yeah, do this it. Yeah, this isn't a case of like having a few drinks and being like, oh, I don't really love her. Yeah. Like, this is this, from the, this outset. Is the outset. It's been wrong, and he's almost trying over the course of however many months this has been. Is almost trying to talk himself into it rather yeah. than out of it. So it's completely backwards. But this is a really interesting line because this ties back in to right back at the beginning. I think maybe in series one, because Mark turns to uh, Jez and is like, "You know how I get after the pub? Like you can't you can't use the pub stuff in the cold light of day." He's like, uh, "You know how I get after the pub? Like when I order the abdominizer." Yeah, and if you remember right back when Je- uh, Hans refers to him as the abdominizer. Oh he? yeah, he does. Yeah. Uh, and I'd completely forgotten about that till I sort of read through the script, 
I was like, oh yeah, he does. And so that must be what Hans is referring yeah, to. Yeah, totally. All those sort of many moons ago. Um, but <laughs> oh. either way, this wasn't pub talk. No. Like, let's establish that. It wasn't pub talk. The um, abdomin- I'm surprised that Mark fell for the abdominizer. It's just like... The abdominizer was that, that belt thing, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Just like the lazy man's way of getting yeah. a six-pack. That, like vibrate yourself to being thin. Yeah, like. that doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> I'm maybe, surprised maybe he fell Two, three, whenever he bought it. Yeah. Maybe it was. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Maybe he was hammered, came home on the shopping channel and was like, yeah, I'll yeah. do that. 21 99 that's a bargain. Yeah. Um, and he he's still trying to justify it to Jez because I think he's now in his head just about justified it to himself. And yeah. he's sort of saying, no, like, she's good for me. Like, she's making, she's turning me into a modern man or whatever he says. Like, yeah, she's, she's bringing t- him into the 21st yeah, century. Yeah. Like, with all his meaningless logos and, like, what does he say? Veneration of tyrants. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think there is a point to that. Sophie de- is dragging him into the, the 21st century. Yeah. Like, Mark is... In Mark's the, still like, stuck in, like, 1960, isn't he? Yeah. But, but I'd say the 50s. Yeah. Like, he doesn't like all the hippie nonsense no, that true. went on in the yeah. 60s. He is, like... He is 50, 60 years in the past. And Sophie is actually, credit to her, making him, like, a, a proper modern human being. Yeah. Even if she's not perfect, but... God knows Mark's not perfect in any shape. No. So... Can I point out, still not living together. And it's never discussed, no. is it? I know you mentioned that. As we and obviously, like, as we move through the rest of this episode, we discover where they're going to live after the wedding. But yeah. it seems strange that even at the stage, like, we talked about the ridiculous... They got engaged without having lived together. Yeah. Let alone, they're now about to get married within the next... Few and months it's, and yeah. they're still not living together. And it just so happens that something is, I mean, we can talk about it later, but something just, is just going to fall in their lap. But what was the plan if not? Yeah, whether was Sophie just going to move into the flat? They've both Seems. got reasonably paid jobs, so you'd imagine they must, and they're both like in their mid, they're like early 30s, so they yeah. must have savings. We we digress. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it, yeah, it's just strange yeah. that it's never really addressed. But he then, he just closes it off and he's like, it's all good, my friend. Like, all good. Like, Jess knows it's not all good. Mark knows it's not all good. Sophie, probably, maybe not at this episode, but certainly by the midpoint of this series, I think she's realising that something's not quite right. Yeah. But at this point, I think she still thinks it's all sunshine and rainbows, isn't she? Yeah, I think so. She's still she's still quite content with their, their little life. Well, like you say, if you just... If you saw them... In the shop, yeah. yeah it would be they, normal. They it do, looks normal. They do fit together. Yeah. It's just only when, obviously, we see everything else on Mark's side. We just never see any sort of, like, physical interaction between them. Like, I'm not no. suggesting, like, we need to watch them having sex or anything. But we never see them, like, holding hands or, like, with his arm round her or, like... Yeah. Yeah, but there's no element of romance even, or intimacy. Even in, in Quantocking, like, they're walking down, this, down that road looking for a, a restaurant and they're, like two feet apart from each other yeah. on, the, on the road. Like, it's really and arguing. <laughs> yeah, and arguing. And then they sit in silence when they do finally get somewhere. But yeah. yeah, there's very little intimacy between them. And I think there's quite a few parallels which we can draw between those two and then when we meet her parents. Oh, yeah, they're in a loveless marriage. Yeah. And we talked about this, um, I think, earlier on. I'm trying to think which episode we would have talked about it in. But we discussed about how Mark is a product of his parents... And how he is very strange. And I know we haven't met Mark's parents yet, but we we can see that him and Sarah are very much a product of how his parents behaved. And Sophie clearly is. 
Yeah. Like... And they both come from incredibly dysfunctional marriages. Yeah. Um, So they're then... We then cut to them arriving at... Sophie's parents. parents. Yeah, on their doorstep. Um, Mark's very keen to make sure that um, he's making a good impression, like hit the key features, dependable, but not afraid of the occasional premium lager, <laughs> which is true. It, like, he's not like he is dependable. <laughs> like, yeah, he's not lying about it. Um, but you can see the relationship that Sophie has with her parents as soon as she gets out of the car. So as soon as they arrive, Sophie's like, "Mummy!" Yeah, a little bit of insight into Sophie, something that I hadn't really expected before. Well, that sort of relationship. Yeah, being like mummy, daddy. Especially as the episode goes on, when we realise the sort of the strain that's on that entire family. Maybe it's just that way of when you haven't seen them for a while and you go back because they're in the country now, aren't they? And you think, I've not seen you for potentially three months or so. Perhaps longer. If this is the first time that they're meeting Mark and they've been engaged for all this time to the point where they're making a wedding list. Yeah. That seems a little bit strange as well, that they've not met the guy that she's marrying and the wedding is quite far down the, the road. In and terms I don't of think we really have any mention of her parents before this. Like, it's not like... No. Before this episode, we that she doesn't refer to them. She doesn't talk about... She doesn't talk about the fact that she's got a brother even, does she? I don't think we know anything um, about Sophie's background before this episode. No. So Mark is uh, introduced to the future in-laws... In inverted yes. commas. Um, Welcome and, to the Chapman homestead. Yeah, and Ian Chapman, uh, played by Paul Clayton. I don't think there could be more perfect yeah. uh, um, casting of this. So he is very straight, very to the point, and he's just like completely straight down to Mark. He's like, Welcome to the Chapman homestead. Yeah. Like, oh, you're that sort of guy. Yeah. Um, you know almost immediately what he's like. And the yeah. way he's dressing, he's very stereotypical. Farmer, yeah. countryside, probably votes for UKIP. Yeah, <laughs> like just you, you can you you have a picture. You could list his pros and cons and qualities and weaknesses just from that opening line, almost. Yeah, and then the rest of the episode is just proving the point. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, there's a little subtlety in that character, but it works well, I think, for for the episode. But this whole interaction is just really awkward. So, welcome to the Chapman Homestead. Great to meet you. The, the feeling's mutual. You look different from your photo. Is the beard new? I thought it would give him a bit of edge. And we're thinking of going short with the hair scene, too. Makes you look handsome, like a policeman. Oh, thank you. You're obviously very attractive, too. Oh, <laughs> uh, what next? Am I going to tell her she's got lovely tits? <laughs> He's just oh, so sexually repressed yeah like he just can't handle he can't flirt and no. I'm, not, I'm not suggesting he's trying to flirt with penny but he can't flirt in yeah. any sort of sense even in like a platonic flirt yeah like it's a really strange really strange scene yeah. so he's already stumbled after about 30 seconds of meeting them and yeah. so naturally he's panicking already and he goes to Sophie for that little bit of validation, doesn't he? Of like, how, how am I... Yeah. Is, is it a total train wreck already? Or? She's just like, calm down, like, you're fine. Like, it's going really well, they like you. Um, and then we hear from the, like, in Jez's internal monologue, Jez is just like, oh, God, 
poor bastard. Those women are going to make poor marriage mincemeat out of it. Yeah. Him. It's like a wedding burger and they're the buns. Yeah. <laughs> and so, like, even though Sophie's response is perfectly reasonable, or perhaps slightly biased, like, wanting to reassure him, yeah. but he's like, this isn't good enough. Like, I'll go to Jez as well, get his opinion. And Jez is so brutally honest. He's like, yeah, it's going all right. Seven out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the relationship they have. They can have that sort of, sort yeah. of honesty with each other. Um, <laughs> and and keep, keep hitting those key features. Yeah. <laughs> They've clearly been planning this for quite a while. I imagine Mark's been planning it like meticulously yeah. for day. And then sort of out of the periphery, a young lad appears. And he's like, so I loved Outrageous. Yeah. <laughs> which is a good throwback to, to series one. And you just think, like, fair play. Like, Sophie, Sophie actually sharing that with somebody else is quite like a... I'd be quite pleased with that if I was Jez. Yeah, Jez's reaction to Jamie yeah. is very bizarre because it's clear from the off, like he almost ambushes Jez with praise and Jez is just very dismissive of it. When through the rest of Jez's life, all he wants is validation from people. Yeah, he wants a, a super fan yeah. and when he actually gets one... He looks down on him. Yeah. What's he said later on? He's like, I'm John Lennon in the making and he's very much Mark Chapman. Yeah. Like, it's it's bizarre. I mean, it, he doesn't go about it in the most normal of ways, does he? No. It, tell you what, he sort of approaches, Jamie approaches uh, Jez in the same way that in the next series, or might even be this series, Jez approaches the Orgazoid. Like, uh, oh my yeah. God, you're the Orgazoid. Like, yeah. He does. Like, it's that same sort of thing. So Jez isn't really one to talk. No, he isn't. That is this series, isn't it? Handyman's in series four. Yeah, it is. Um, God, that's another cracking episode from this series. But you're right. And actually, the Orgazoid has done something. Yeah, Jez has just released one track that hasn't even been released. It's presumably just on, like, a cassette tape that Sophie's (laughs) taken to play. But I'd 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 be happy if I was... If I knew that, like, my sister... And I don't play music by do record a hit podcast. Um, <laughs> and if I knew my sister was going to her friend and being like, yeah, and like, listen, like, listen to this or like, no, it's not even my sister. It would be like, if, if Alice was saying, listen to what Rob's done to yeah. her sister, that's the dis- that's the link. If, if your partner was saying, oh, Rob did this really cool thing yeah. and, t- and telling her sister about it, that's the equivalent. Yeah, you're right. It is I'm, weird. Jez is a dick. <laughs> he is, especially as these fans are so like few and far between. You think he it's would latch onto shit. it? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, it really did surprise me that sort of response. But I suppose, I mean, Jamie is weird. Let's get that out of the way. Yeah, and this whole opening gambit with Jamie is meant to create that thing. So it's just like, yeah. And it's like, have you ever been to the big chill? Yeah, I went the year before last, but it was a bit much. It's like, it says something about taking like four cans of lager, but he got taken off by security who wasn't really security. And yeah, yeah, anyway, my dad came and picked me up. Yeah, it all fizzles out. It's a bit weird. Now, I think, I don't know how old he's meant to be, but I'm guessing he's dropped out of uni, hasn't he? Yeah, I'm guessing he's... 18, 18, 19. 19. I'm going to just hypothesise. He is a child that has been, had conceived to try and save their marriage. Oh, that's a great shout. Like, yeah, I hadn't thought there's, about there's the that. Best, there must be at least 15 year gap between Sophie. I'm guessing Sophie's like early 30s. Yeah. And he's like late teens. That's definitely a, a baby they've had to try and like sort their marriage out. Yes. 
Oh, very good. Yeah. Very good insight. I mean, I'm, I'm reading too much into this, but... No, I don't think so at all. I think that's bang on. Yeah. That would fit so well with everything else that we learn about them. And I mean, we do sort of discover, and we'll talk about this as we go through like more episodes, he doesn't come back, does he? We only ever see him in this episode. No. We don't even see him. He doesn't even make it all the way to the wedding episode. No, we don't the, see the him. Gu- the gu- we, see, we see a young person, but it's it's... I think the guy who's in that episode is the guy who plays Barney, who's meant to be Sophie's cousin. Yeah, and I wondered whether that was because they tried, for, for whatever reason... The actor who played Jamie didn't come back. Yeah, because Barney and Jamie are essentially the same character. Yeah, they're both, like, weird... Both, um, And he's still... A, he's a massive fan of Jez as yeah. well. So I guess you could, you could easily write that off of Jamie's past it to Barney and been like, oh, look at this. Yeah, and but Barney's arguably it. worse. Like Barney gets into Jeremy's room and he's like, oh, I'm Jez, look at my jeans. This is my, <laughs> yeah. these are your jeans. Like, it's I, I weird. think they're definitely supposed they're to be the same They're meant to be the same, same guy. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he's a bit of a, a nutter by the looks of it. But I still think like beggars can't be choosers, Jez. Like, no, and Jez puts him gotta... down. And this is something that's like, bit, like a gif has been created of this, of Jez just looking at him and going... Okay, that's an interesting story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you can use that in so many different yeah, situations. Yeah, very widely used. Um, but Jez, I think, at this point, sort of realises that... Well, he comes up with several analogies, doesn't he? When he's just like, oh, great, I'm at the children's table. I'm yeah. with the kids. I'm not part of the family at all. I'm the rubber toy brought for the weirdo to chew on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, which I kind of see. Like, that is obviously yeah, why, he's why, been... why he's been taken along. We just didn't know that at the beginning. Yeah. Um... So we we head out onto the farm, don't we? We do for a little bit of male bonding. I'm guessing this is what it is to try and get them all just yeah doing something together. Yeah, well, and Sophie, like Mark's not the sort of guy who's going to sit there and be heavily involved with wedding planning. Sophie's going to have clearly an idea in her head of what she wants to do for the wedding, and Mark is going to go along with it. There's no way that Mark's going to sit there and be like, oh, look at this. So we could do the table arrangements like this. Yeah. And we could have, oh, the guest book would look lovely if we put it here. Mark doesn't give a damn about that. No. He doesn't really give a damn about getting married in the first place. No. So, <laughs> yeah, very true. Um, He's definitely not going to want to do it. So, yeah, I think they're obviously out of some sort of male bonding. So Jez is there, Mark's there, Jamie's there, and Ian is leading the pack, isn't he? Yeah. Did you have to go uh, shooting when you met your father-in-law? <laughs> no, I didn't go shooting. I'm trying to think what I what I did. Like I didn't I didn't do like an initiation yeah. task. You played quite a bit of squash, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, I played a fair amount of squash. And sort of about eighteen months before we got married, I went and spent a week in France with oh with, yeah you with did Miranda's dad sort of like doing manual labour, um, <laughs> but men's <certain>, work. <laughs> but certainly for. Back in the day, there was definitely this sort of like I've got I've got to make sure I'm I'm saying the right thing, doing the right thing. I yeah. can't. I've got to come across as like manly enough, but not aggressive. I've got to come across <laughs> as this sort of stuff, like every little like nuance. Thinking about it, yeah. Um, and so Mark is definitely so aware of how he needs to be. Yeah, hyper aware, definitely. And that's about we're talking about this sort of like male bonding thing. I think carrying a gun makes it about as manly and aggressive as possible like we're going to go out and kill things and mark as as far as we're aware never done anything like that before but he's just going well you can guess he's not from the way he shoots yeah although he is the only one who hits something rather than judgment yeah um but he's just like ah the first fiance challenge and i've got a gun yeah actual gun (laughs) and he's like oh it's okay it's perfectly normal it's the country it's what farmers do um and then we sort of have a 
a line which now now seems historic um, when he says, oh, they go around shooting crows and trespassers and eventually, because of the EU, themselves. <laughs> now, for our listeners who are listening in 21, 22, 23, the EU was... Um... <laughs> <laughs> so at the time of recording... We still haven't left the fucking EU. <laughs> no, we have not. So, yeah, that's a bit of a, a tip back to that. And we don't see much more of that conversation going on because it's sort of in Mark's head. But we flip back to Jamie's life story being shared with Jez. And he says, oh, that's when I went to Warwick, but I left after a term. They were all a bunch of fakers. I'm yeah. like, oh, yeah, <laughs> okay. you're this guy. Um Still got the bag from the Freshers' Fair, though. Yeah, pretty cool. I'll show you later, if you like. Yeah. It's like, no one cares, Jamie. No one gives a shit. Now, I think this is an appropriate point to mm. launch into the first one of our Twitter questions that we got in the build-up to this episode, um, because we discover that um, Jamie doesn't have a gun. No. And uh, Ian very much turns around dismissively and sort of says, Jamie doesn't shoot. Yeah. So, why do we think Jamie, Jamie doesn't shoot? I wonder if maybe he's shot himself by accident. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. Yeah, it can't just be that he's a crap shot. No, because you you won't find that out. Like, he's got to do it to find out. I think some sort of accident. It can't be that he isn't interested in it. Because he's gone out with them. And he looks glumly sort of when Mark says like, oh, no, when Jeremy is it asks... He, Jamie then says, like, oh, I'm like, I'm not allowed. And he's sort yeah. of like hands in pockets looking down. So yeah. he clearly wants to, but I think something has, has clearly happened. happened. Maybe he's gone, like, full Ashley Cole and gone and taken an air rifle. <laughs> <and he shot laughs> somebody. Yeah, or there's been some sort of near miss, or maybe he shot Barney by mistake. <laughs> <laughs> you won't take my role in Pete Joe! <laughs> yeah. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, he's definitely... Well, Jeremy comes up with his own conclusion, doesn't he? He's like, of course he doesn't shoot. He's Mark Chapman in the making, and I'm very much a 21st century Lennon. It's, yes, yeah, an odd one, but I'm not surprised. I think that was a fairly obvious joke that was going to be made. Um, so we then sort of cut to Mark and Jez having a bit of a conversation. Yeah, Jez wants to leave, doesn't he? Because he realises he's the fluffer in his yeah. words. Like, he realises he's, in inverted commas, bum boy for, yeah. for Jamie. Um, and I, I do feel a bit sorry for him because, like, Mark is, I Mark didn't know how weird Jamie was, but he's certainly not prepared him for this situation. Yeah, he has... Je, Jez has been brought under sort of false pretense, yeah. really. Yeah, and so Mark's trying to... Really trying to encourage him to stay. He's like, like Jamie's not a bad guy. Um, and Jez sort of just tries to call his bluff, and he's like, what are you going to do if I leave? You're going to shoot me? Yeah. Like, what are you going to do? He's like, no, of course I'm not. He's like, well, if you do, I'll shoot you straight back. And like, yeah, and he points the barrel like right in his face. And I would not trust And for two, yes, two guys who've presumably not used a gun before, yeah, that seems quite risky. <laughs> but um, what gets me is that Mark, try, in trying to reassure him to stay... He's saying like, oh, I, like I need you, like to make a good impression. And yeah, I think, he's still like, this is still all for Mark's gain. Yeah, but I think Jess is the worst person to have around if you're trying I to don't like. Know. I think he makes a pretty good. Impression. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he makes impressions in all the wrong ways. Like I, I would want him as far removed as possible if I was Mark. If you're trying to come across as a normal person, which we all know Mark isn't either, but if you're trying to portray that, yeah, to people if as soon as you know that they live in this like nice house in the country you, think, you right, want to create you a certain impression of yourself yeah you? the last person you want to bring is jez yeah so we we move on to the shooting i, I got it I, I got one i got one congratulations 
You've killed a sentient being. Well done, Mark. But you only winged it. Oh, is that not... No, you've got to finish it off. Oh, right. No, don't shoot it, God! What, shall I...? Don't stamp on it, Jesus! Ring its neck! Its... neck? Yes, ring its neck, it's suffering. This is the ultimate good impression test. If I can do this, I'll never have to carve a chicken or discuss spark plugs or prove I love his daughter. Now, be careful you don't... <coughs> oh, Mark. You've pulled its bloody head off. There's blood all over me! Mark goes through this, like, almost comical cycle of, yeah. like, I'm going to point the gun at, like, blank Can you imagine rain. how bad that would be? <laughs> yeah, it would just, like, be pulverised, wouldn't it? And yeah. then he lifts it up and goes, oh, OK, maybe I'll stamp on its head. And it's like, no, 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 like, don't stamp on it. And then Ian has to intervene. He's like, no, Jesus, bring its neck, bring its neck. And Mark's like, oh, God. <laughs> oh, Mark, you've pulled its bloody head off. Yeah, and you, Mark's face... In that sort of slow motion, as it the blood is just spurting all over yeah, me. Yeah, he enters like a state of shock, doesn't There's he? There's blood all over me! <laughs> yeah. And Ian's just like, oh, Mark, you've pulled its bloody head off. <laughs> it's so comical. It's so deadpan. Yeah, well, that's just that's just Paul Clayton's acting to a T, isn't it? Yeah, and um, this is when Sophie arrives. Teas, coffees for the huntsman! No teas for the Beastmaster, thanks. He feasts on the blood of his prey. And that jazz line is just peak. Yeah. And the, the camera's still looking over at Mark, and he's still just stood there. The blood's still just like spouting out yeah. the poor bird's neck, and he's oh, just like just in horrible. terror. I can um, honestly say, yeah, I've never had to never had to kill another animal to prove my, no. prove my worth <laughs> yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so we 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 zoom forward to what we presume is um, that a bit of a, yeah, a bit later on the same day, a bit of a mandate going on. That we don't discover yes. the mandate straight away. No. Um, it's the three of them at the start, isn't it? Mark, yeah. Sophie and her her dad are at the pub. And um, I love it. We open, Ian yeah. makes the best bad, like the dad joke of, of the episode there when he hands Mark his pint. And he's just like, it's got a bit of a head on it, but I'm sure you'll see to that in a hurry. And I just, I'm like, bruv. Yeah. <laughs> the delivery of that joke is just so superb. Yeah. Like, that's full marks from me. Um, um, so Sophie, like you said, Sophie then decides that she's going to leave the two of them together, and Mark's face just drops. It's like, this has been this is an ambush from yeah. Mark's point of view. Clearly, um, Ian knows about it before. Yeah, what well, Ian then says, like Sophie and Penny thought it might be nice for you and I to spend an, e- an evening together, and Mark's like, oh god, like a whole evening. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like I barely have enough stuff to say to like my closest friends. Um, yeah, what the hell am I going to say to a fully grown man, man for yeah. a whole I think, night? I think whenever we've talked about this before, whenever we see Mark in situations, you're like, we suddenly go, oh yeah, you you do not know how to operate, do you? This this is a real bloke. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I suppose it doesn't help though that Ian does start to grill him a little bit. So he, you're the man who's going to marry my daughter. Yeah, yeah, that's the sort of thing that confrontational. Yeah, and just a way that's stuck that stuck in the past by now. Yeah, yeah, it's all yeah. Like, don't ha- I never had that conversation with my father-in-law to be where he was like, so, like, what what are your intentions yeah. for my daughter? Like, yeah. it's so ancient. And actually, Mark didn't ask Ian's permission. I can imagine that really grates on Ian. 
Yeah, and actually that surprises me that that's something that Mark wouldn't think himself. Bear in mind, he didn't do it as like a rush proposal. Like, no. He thought about it in advance. Yeah, he had. All those weeks of saving the Mega Deal vouchers. Yeah, quite. Yeah, that does surprise me, actually. So yeah, already, I suppose, they're not off to the best start. Because I imagine, yeah, that would bother Ian, like a traditional... And I would have thought it would have bothered Sophie as well. Mm. Um, Yeah, good point. So Mark is so on the back foot the whole way through this conversation. And Ian sort of, yeah, like I said, says, oh, you're the man who's going to marry my Sophie. And Mark's just, his whole demeanour is like, yep, that's that's me, all right. Yeah. And then his internal monologue is like, probably... (laughs) Yeah, and he says that thing like, "Oh, uh, he calls him sir." Doesn't yeah, he. he um, Ian asks if he loves her. Yeah, and he's like, he goes, "And you love her?" Like almost like a quite like quite to the point. Yeah, um, and Mark's like, um, yes, "Yes, I do, sir." Yeah. It's like, oh, sir. <laughs> this isn't Tennessee, Mark. Yeah. But I feel like Ian has put him in that spot though a bit, where he has taken it to that super formal, like, yeah. "What are your intentions for my daughter?" And there's a, there's a, there's an element where. I get that sort of formality, and Mark, like I said, Mark is very much in the fifties. Like he does, he would refer to somebody as sir or whatever. Yeah. Um, I still shake Miranda's dad's hand every time I see him. Like if I arrive yeah. at their house, I'll shake his hand. I suppose what's different is that you would have you'd have met him before you were engaged. Yeah. So when you, yeah. I suppose if a father is meeting the guy who his daughter has already agreed to marry, it's like right, I've got to size him up fairly quickly then. Whereas, yeah. like, when I met my father-in-law-to-be, like, we weren't engaged. So he had time to sort yeah. of, Whereas, I imagine, yeah, the first suss me out. wasn't being like, oh, you're the, you're the guy who's going to marry my ass. Yeah, it was just like, <laughs> yeah, it was like, hi, like, I'm, I'm Tom, like, nice, nice to meet you sort yeah. of thing. And there was no, there was little pressure there. Yeah. And if he did hate me, he could... <laughs> yeah, there was a chance to tell Alice. He could undermine Alice. me. <laughs> there was a chance to tell Alice to, like, tell you to push off. Yeah. Like, not, not that she would have done, or well, I'd hope that she wouldn't do, but... <laughs> Um, it's a, it's a bit of a different situation, isn't it? Yeah. Whilst uh, whilst Ian is quite aggressive to Mark, he then does make a fairly good point, and he's just like, because if there's one little crack of doubt, yeah, like after ten after thirty years, that will tear you like, apart. It will tear yeah. you apart if you're worried about it now. Don't go through with it. Yeah, um, and Mark does that little thing. Where he's like, oh, like me and Soph. It's, and then he does this, like, he pats his heart, doesn't he? Like, yeah. It's sort of, it's true love. It's, oh, it's so cringy. Yeah. I can't, I can't get over it. But he and, then follows that up in his head, doesn't he? And he's like, all my fear of loneliness and her strong desire to get pregnant by almost anyone as long as it happens this year. Yeah. Now, that's a, an important quote, I think, because we've heard Sophie express her desire for having children. Yeah. Like, back when Mark proposed, yeah. in quotes. Yeah. But I, it's suddenly... She's mad on it. It's a real personality shift because we talked about it at the end of like this in series three, like episode four and five when she's doing the drugs and she's doing the pills and all of this sort of stuff. All of a sudden, she's then like, oh, I'm settling down and having kids. Yeah. She seems to have blown through the phase that you'd probably do at uni in her early to mid thirties and now wants to settle down. Maybe she just had a bit of a crisis where she was like, oh, I've not lived so I'll do it all now, age yeah. like 32, and then it's like, I've got that out of my system now, now I can settle down. But and she if, seems suddenly mad, like, I need to have a baby And if Mark is her first sort of serious relationship, which it may well be, yeah. and we're working on the basis that she hasn't had many, because I know, and again, we're harping back to something we talked about before, but when she talks to Jez in... No, in, this is in the Oh, it's next, in this one, isn't it? It's next, conference, isn't it? Yeah, next and she tells Mark And she tells Jez that she's only slept with four guys. Yeah. Well... We work on the basis. Mark's one of them. Jeff's one of them. She oh, might have yes. had one random one night stand. 
well, when she potentially oh, almost yeah. certainly cheats on Mark. Yeah, so that so only leaves one other one person. Other, yeah, so, so she's not that experienced. And, and so like she's very much gone, like, I'm in the first relationship, first proper relationship that I'm in. Yeah. I'm settling down, I'm getting married, I'm having a kid. Like that's. But, I yeah. she, but you, might, you might go through that stage. If everything else in your life is good, it might just be a case of like, now's the time's right. Or it might be a case of, like you said, a bit of an existential crisis where she's going... I'm getting I'm getting into my mid thirties here. Like, yeah, my chance I, of having a baby is only going to go down. And I do think that this crisis does fit in a bit better. Although I, I sort I think I've sort of talked myself into understanding it a bit more. Where I think she has had this crisis where yeah, like she needs to blow through her twenties, but she's doing it in her thirties, and now she needs to settle down. The sort yeah. of the, the biological clock ticking sort of thing. She's approaching. We're guessing she's in a maybe approaching mid thirties by now. Yeah. So it does, it does add up, but it, it, I think because there's only six episodes in a series and Sophie isn't in all of them, we just, we seem to blow through these phases like so quickly. Yeah. And we talked like you get whiplash from it. We talked about in the last series about how she's not consistently scripted, is she? She's not like her persona is not. It doesn't. It doesn't sit right in terms of how quickly she skits from one thing. Yeah, one thing but to I, I do think from now she settles into what Sophie is. There are the occasional like outbursts still, but I do think they are like with they are part of her personality. Yeah, rather than it being like trying to still navigate the character. Yeah, I think she is settled yeah. now. So I do like Sophie much more from now on. And then on the other side. I think like Mark's never expressed an interest in having children, but he's but he's not been in the situation where he's needed to discuss it, has he? Like, it's only been because Sophie's really hammered the point home at the end of series three that we is in our minds. I can probably see Mark wanting children because that's the conventional yeah. thing to do, and that, that's why but, he's marrying Sophie. Yeah, but he's never really expressed a desire to be a father. No. I think he's just sort of doesn't really, it doesn't seem to be fussed either way. And if no. Sophie wants the kids, then he just doesn't seem he really just wants to be happy, doesn't it. he? Yeah. And just um, wants people around him to be happy. Um, <laughs> no. So we, we go back to the house then. Talking of making people around you happy. Yeah. And poor Jez has just been left to fend for himself. And I think if this was me in what is effectively a stranger's house, he's just walking around in his dressing gown. Isn't I he? would just barricade myself in my room. I think. Yeah. I would just hunker down and stay. In yeah. There. If you were in your, if I was in your mother-in-law, if it was me and your mother-in-law, yeah, you'd be walking house, around in your dressing gown. Wouldn't yeah. You? And on top of that, I'll I'll tell you now. She makes she makes some good jam. She won't get you to lick it off her finger. Yeah. Just. just I guess he must be thirsty or something, is why he goes down. But yeah. then he does it in a dressing gown, and it turns out he's not even wearing any underwear underneath. It's just so... Yeah, it's strange, isn't it? And, like, Ian, who is very prim and proper, could walk back in at any minute, and I'd yeah. be like, oh, blimey, like, I'm a bit, yeah, I'm a bit it's bashful. really weird. And it turns out Sophie's mum is already in there in the kitchen, and she talks to Jez about how great it is that he and Jamie are sort of like getting along. It turns out Jamie's not had a real friend since he was thirteen, which is a shock to absolutely no one. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we discover that there's a bit of a proposal on the table from Sophie's mum, don't we? And she's offering yeah. the golf Nana's to, golf to allow Jez to visit on the reg. Jamie, visit Jamie, not yeah, her. not her. Visit, <laughs> visit Jamie regularly. Um... Well, brilliant. One Jesmobile, no strings attached. I mean, obviously loads of strings, but just ignore the strings. Which is one of my favourite sort of 
Jeremyism. Yeah, and ever. you've used it earlier on in the in the series. Haven't yeah, you? it's so common with Jess. It's like, oh, I think here is something I can have. Obviously, it's going to come with like these t- terms and conditions apply. Yeah, nah, forget about them. Like, like when he gets the loan later on, it's like it's, just, it's free money. Yeah. <laughs> so of course he's going to accept. Um, yeah, and he's like, so what are you thinking? Uh, like, what what are you making, Mrs. C? Yeah, he suddenly has like some warmth towards her. Like yeah. first when he goes into the kitchen, it's all a bit awkward. Yeah, but he, she's offered him a car now. She's like, hey, Mrs. C. Like they're, yeah. they're suddenly mates. Yeah, um, and she's like, oh, just some Blair resignation jam. Yeah, and, and, and again, this is harping back to the earlier point in the episode. And he's like, "Ah, oh, right, Blair. Yeah, cool. I see. Nice." I don't um, think it's a surprise at all that this family is Tory to the max. Yeah. Um, so she talks to him about theming her jams, um, and all of a sudden it goes from like, "Do you like jam? Yeah, I like jam. That's right." To all of a sudden <laughs> she's just like, "Sometimes I feel like I could do with a friend out here." Like. From like just out of nowhere, and he's like, "Yeah, it's good to have a friend." And then yeah. she's just like sticks her finger out. Have a proper taste. Suck mommy's finger. Do I suck the finger? Good. Mmm. Very good. I mean, I've got a girlfriend. That means nothing to Penny. She almost doesn't acknowledge that he's said it. Does she? She's already thrusting the next like finger. Oh, anything. he's just a means to an end with this. Like she just needs. She just needs. I've been really caught. There. <laughs> she <laughs> she needs... just. She just. She just needs a shag from somebody. Yeah. Um. So carry on with the finger sucking. And... Yeah. I like how Jeremy tries to justify. It. It's like maybe this is totally normal. It's what they do in the here. country. <laughs> yeah. Or, or maybe she just likes having her finger sucked and this isn't going to get sexual. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so it's not just about the jam. Yeah. Um, and she says, you like it, don't you? Yeah. And he's just like, yes, I do like it. And the, the, the third time she does it, it might be the, the Diana <laughs> Memorial, the way she rubs her finger around his lips and the inside of his oh, mouth. Oh, God, it's, it's so like sexual. She's like fingering his yeah. mouth. And he just turns and he's like... I don't mind, but eventually it's going to get cloying. (laughs) (laughs) I expect you've noticed that Ian's a little older than me. He used to enjoy doing lots of things that he doesn't like doing anymore. No, yeah, I'm I'm sure. So, there you are. I'm a woman. Indeed. And you're a man. Technically, Mm mm-hmm, yes. So what are you going to do about that? Okay, it's not going to be just the jam. So what am I going to do? It's almost like a moral decision, but not really, because no one will find out. And obviously, we we have to wait to find out what happens there, but I think we have a fairly good idea. Yeah, of course, he's always going to go there. Support for Podcast Secrets of the Pharaohs is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels, and Manscaped just launched their fourth-generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0, all across Europe. You heard that right, the 4.0. Join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code PEEP at manscaped.com. So why do you need Manscaped's lawnmower 4.0? Well, we've all got our own nightmare grooming stories about shaving our nether regions. Whether it's Nick's cuts and grazes or an unfortunate tale involving hair removal cream, it can seem like you're always a moment away from disaster. Not with the Lawnmower 4.0. After using it myself, it really does make a massive difference. It's quick, easy to use, and most importantly, I felt safe while using it. With the Lawnmower 4.0, Manscaped have engineered the ultimate groin trimmer, with their advanced skin safe technology making you confident to shave your boys. 
So if you're like Mark and are worried about your testicles looking abnormal, the Lawnmower 4.0 can give you the confidence to do something about it and make your balls feel like a million dollars. So go on, start shaving your testicles like it's the most natural thing in the world and get 20% off and free shipping with the code PEEP at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code PEEP. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Your balls will thank you. But yeah, you're right. We, we jump back. That, that The break is at that point, yeah. isn't it? And we arrive back on the break and we find Mark, Mark in the mirror and he's uh, just shaved his beard off. So he's greeting himself saying, hello, like familiar stupid face. Yeah. <laughs> Goodbye, beard. Um, and... Jez sort of is straight into the questioning. So, so do you make a good impression? And I don't think Mark made a bad impression. Like, from the little conversation we saw... Yeah. He's made a bad impression generally throughout his stay there, but he hasn't... I wouldn't say that... I imagine he got through it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's fine. Um, but what's interesting to me here is that Mark and Jeremy are sharing a room together. Clearly, they've they've made a point yeah. of Mark and Sophie shouldn't be sharing a bed... But Mark, but Mark then says this, like, when the door, like, there's a knock on the door, he's like, oh, that will be Sophie looking for Nookie. So yeah. how is that going to work? Is he going to, like, have to scuttle off to go to her room? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's the impression I got, that Sophie's like a sort of naughty teen who's trying to yeah. smuggle her boyfriend in. Imagine these two people are going to get married, but apparently that's not good enough for her but parents. But there's traditions, like, people do have it, like, when... I first stayed at my grandparents when I first took Miranda to meet my grandparents when we stayed over. They wanted us to have separate rooms because we weren't married. I talked them round because I was like, we literally live together. And we don't sleep in different rooms there. there. We'll be respectful. Like, obviously, like, we'll be respectful. But if that's what they'd said, that's what they'd have said. But this is obviously what um, Ian and Penny have said is that they think it's... Sort of traditional. Very old school. Yeah. But Mark has come to a final realisation, doesn't he? And he turns to Jez and he's just like, it's got me thinking about Sophie and the wedding and how I probably don't properly love her. Yeah. And Jez is like, oh, brilliant. Like, he's finally coming coming round to what he should be thinking. And Mark's like, I'm going to call it off. I'm going to call it off. And so Jez is down to the finer details. He's like, so when are you going to call it off? Um, And I like this sort of interaction between them because it just, it demonstrates the two different personalities where Jez is like, that I'm going to do it. I'm going to end it. Yeah. Just sort it out, clean kill, yeah. like straight, like off with their head straight away. Whereas Mark is a lot more logical and systematic. So when are you going to call it off? Well, I don't know. It's difficult. I mean, ideally it would be somewhere with nice surroundings. Yeah. Somewhere with flowers, coffee and sedatives, medical assistance. Maybe with music, but not too jaunty, but melancholy music. Right. So where are you planning to find this magical musical breakup hospital? Yeah, so we then this is when we then get the knocking at the door. Yeah, and Mark's worried that it's uh, Sophie wanting Nookie. Yeah. Which is actually something I for some reason I'd never picked up on that bit of his response. I always just thought remember that oh shit, that's gonna be Sophie, but that wanting Nookie yeah. <laughs> is so like I don't know, it's pretty unusual for Mark. And like you said, like how is that going to work? And really unusual for Sophie. Like she knows that he's sharing a room with. She doesn't seem like sexually confident enough to just come in and be like, "Come on, then, Mark." Like I'm not suggesting she's going to come straight out with it, but she knows that he's in a room with Jez, so she's got to come in and be like, "Come on, then, time." Yeah, like, <laughs> let's, let's go. Like, they all know what they're going for, but as it turns out, it it wasn't. 
it was not Sophie. It yeah, was um, it was Penny. Well, um, so they go through this little thing, don't they, of uh, pretending to snore. Yeah, but what's interesting is that Penny opens the door anyway. She says, even though I could hear snoring. Yeah, I could hear snoring. That's so weird. She's going to just creep in and just, like, wake Jez up yeah. in the nicest way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, literally. Um, like, Ian's probably too drunk and like, is asleep on the sofa or something, and she's going to wheel Jez out yeah. and have a good go. <laughs> <laughs> um, so she walks in, and she's like, I just wanted to check you're okay, Mark, and say how lovely it was to have you both here. And the look she gives Jez, because yeah. there's a slight pause before saying both. Have yeah. you both here the looks exchanged in this scene are just so good it's so well done between all three of them please no please tell me no what that the smutty smile jeremy please tell me that nothing's going on there nothing is going on there let's just say that nothing is going on there yeah Actually, I did want to tell someone. I mean, it was so cool. She had all this jam. Oh, my God, you didn't. You fucked her. Jeremy, you need chemical castration. You're out of control. That's Sophie's mother. She's hot. She's not out of Hollyoaks, Jeremy. She probably had a ration book. Now, two things there. Hollyoaks, for our transatlantic listeners, is a shit UK soap. It's, yeah, a soap for pretty actors who aren't that good at acting. Who all then go on to be on, like other reality shows and stuff. There's a lot of yeah. people who've begun their careers on Hollyoaks and then gone off to other things. It's yeah, it's ve- yeah, you're right, pretty actors. It's very like it's like me, a catalogue show. Yeah. 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 Um so Hollyoaks um is that UK TV soap and then I know what people know what a ration book is. I don't think I need to explain that one. Um, Mark just carries on. This this whole rant at Jeremy is incredible. Oh, you're a piece of work, aren't you? I'm down the pub putting the hours in with the dad and you're back in the house banging the mum. That is not a good impression. I don't know. I think I made a pretty good impression. Uh, Jeremy, please, don't, don't smile like that. You're not James Bond, you're disgusting. I am James Bond. It's incredible. Yeah, I love it. Like I say, the, all the looks exchanged in that scene. Uh, Sophie's mum, she's wearing her, like, her silky nightwear, isn't she? Yeah. Like, definitely like trying to come in there and seduce Jez. Oh, so strange. Very, very weird. Um, but, I mean, we've talked about bad things that Jez has done. Is this the worst so far? So far, yeah. I mean, I think this is worse than sleeping with Mark's sister. Yeah, I think yeah. that you've been brought on here to help make... Well, he's been brought as the chew toy for the Jamie, but yeah. he's also been brought to help Mark look good. And he's instead got his end away. Yeah, this is it's... definitely worse <laughs> than that. I'm struggling to think back to the other bad things he's done. He's certainly up there. I, I think, mean, I, I think, think what he's... happens in the next episode is worse. Yes. I think selling off Big Sue's to Johnson is definitely worse than what he yeah. does here. It's all relative. <laughs> I think, yeah, Jess, dis- he, he does descend. <laughs> it degenerates yeah. more and more. But I think so far it's definitely yeah. up there, if not the, the worst thing. But he comes done. back from it. Like, Mark... It turns out that Mark can forgive him doing that more easily than he can convince himself that mm. Sophie's the one. Because <laughs> yeah. ultimately, it, it goes a bit Pete Tong. Oh, so there we go. We, we we never see the end of that conversation. We don't we don't get down into the nitty gritty, but 
we we then move on to the the second manly out manly outing yeah. of, the, of the weekend. And we sort of just like we stumble from one disaster to the next, really. Yeah, well, that's episode. the whole point of the episode, yeah, isn't it? It um, is that catalogue of errors. <laughs> So they're off and they are doing some metal detecting. Ian's quite apologetic, isn't he? He's like, I'm sorry, you've got to come and do this. Yeah. Um, but we've been told to get to get you out of the house. Yeah, Penny wants us out of the house. Yeah, and what Penny wants, Penny gets. But it seems really strange because presumably she's organising birthday stuff. But Sophie's still there. Sophie doesn't go on the, on the expedition. Oh, I hadn't thought of that. I'd assumed she'd brought some fella around, covered him in jam but where's Sophie him. but yeah that's a good point covered him in jam <laughs> <laughs> that was genuinely what I thought was happening but you're right that's so much more but then but Sophie's still, presumably still in the house maybe yeah. knows. Um, so Jez immediately confronts Mark and he's like why haven't you told Sophie yet um, yeah they and... quite naively think that because Ian's got his metal detecting headphones on he's now just they're rendered. noise cancelling yeah something. so come on mark why haven't you told her yet Shh, can he hear he can't hear can you you big fox hunting badger baiting tweed shirt bumfuck homophobe i i'll point out uh, that whole little list there is brilliant but the uh sort of the oxymoron nature of the bumfuck homophobe yeah. is just <laughs> like so peak i love that and of course like all People who live in the country, who are Tory, they love to go badger baiting. <laughs> and, and meet that description entirely. Yeah. Um, so I think Mark has obviously had... The, the the conversation he's had with Jeremy maybe was pub talk. Like, he's come back this time. The conversation he had with her, him last night may actually be pub talk. Yeah. Um, and he's now sort of trying to regate on what he's already said. So come on, are you having second thoughts? I don't know. Maybe. I mean, she's so nice. So what if I don't really love her? Charles didn't really love Diana, and they were all right. Sort of. You don't really love Sophie? <laughs> what? No. That's what you said. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. No, no, because of distortion. There was probably a buzz that there might be an ancient Saxon coin right here. Stop it, Mark. I heard every word. And for the record, Jeremy, I may be a homophobe, but I'm no badger better. I think fair play to Ian here, like... He does the right thing. Totally. Like, he's a, he's a man about it, which is something that Mark isn't throughout his yeah. entire series. Oh, Ian's quite clever about it as well, because he, he's clearly heard everything they've said, yeah. but he's waited, has sort of led them on, like, yeah, I can't Oh, absolutely. That's something that I would definitely do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would like, I wonder what they're saying. Um, but... And he then confronts Jeremy at the same time, doesn't he? He's like, for the record, Jeremy, I may be a homophobe, but I'm no badger, basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, the, that's the better of the two things. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that I would have suggested that at that point, the day sort of wraps itself up. You can't really go back from that, can you? You can't really carry on. But they seem to let the day carry on. They go. And... Yeah, they still seem to be banished from the house for so like no. into the night. Into the night. That's what I was going to say. Like we're presuming this is like. September, October time. So the, the nights have drawn in. Yeah. So it's like, it's not necessarily going to be that late. But they're all sitting around, like, drinking a bottle of, is it whiskey or rum yeah, or something? Yeah, around, like, a barrel yeah, fire. Yeah, around a barrel fire <laughs> next like next to a barn. I'm like, if I if, if you told your prospective father-in-law you didn't love his daughter, it surprises me that they can just carry on as normal. I suppose there yeah. is such a dis- he's in such a dysfunctional marriage himself that actually, is it that, like, oh, well, do you know what? Yeah, I don't know. If you provide her with children and... <laughs> well, they do strike that deal later on, don't they? Yeah. Which is interesting. Yeah. 
But yeah, clearly they've been banished for so long, which I guess would fit whether you were whether Penny is like planning this party. Yeah, and I mean Sophie's yeah strange. Um, so Jez is trying to sort of keep Ian sweet. So I like your barn. Um, yeah, yeah, it's so awkward yeah. because they've got nothing else to talk about. Yeah, now. just the, the barn. The biggest like... elephant in the bar. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's gone. So, like, anything they talk about now is kind of all right. Um, and Ian sort of says, it's full of crap no one has any use for. Maybe that's why I feel so at home here. Yeah. That's so awkward. It's so <laughs> yeah. just like, oh, I feel so. You do sort of feel, until the end of this episode, you do sort of feel a bit sorry for him. Like, yeah, because at do. this point you're like, oh, you're, and he knows that his wife's having it away with somebody. Yeah. Um, his life's falling down. He's realised that the bloke who's marrying his daughter doesn't actually love her. Like, it is a bit of a depressing point for Ian. Yeah. Um, but he turns to him and, and he just says like, Mark, if you don't love Sophie, you shouldn't marry her. And Mark's like, yeah, that's what I've, that's what I've been thinking. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell yeah. her. Yeah. Um, and he realises, he's like, oh my God, like the good impression thermometer has gone through the absolute, like, <laughs> absolute zero. Yeah. But yeah, Ian actually sort of respects what Mark is going to do, that he is actually going to back yeah. out. But I think it's interesting, if you actually look back, and Ian did hear everything they said, Mark was actually like backtracking yeah. and saying that he was going to potentially stick it out with Sophie, despite the things he was saying, where Charles didn't really love Diana, but that worked out. Yeah. So it's he is clearly still debating whether to stay with her despite not loving her. So I wonder if Mark would have backed out if Ian hadn't caught him. So it's a weird one. Yeah. But regardless, Ian seems to respect Mark a little bit more Well, now. he says, doesn't he? He's like, like, you know what, I'm glad. I'd rather you came clean now rather than starting something that's not right. Like, that actually takes balls yeah. to do it. Obviously, he doesn't end up doing it. So, no, I mean, exactly. he, do, he, he does it way too late. Yeah. Like, he does it at the end of this series. It makes Ian sort of slightly, slightly self-reflective, doesn't he? Because he's like... Do you know what? Sometimes I wish I had the guts to do something. Yeah. Say something. What would you do if you were trapped in a loveless marriage? Like if you knew your wife was cheating on you and the camera pans around to Jeremy and he's like, shit. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Jez just with his great life coaching advice. Yeah. He's just like, you know what? I'd probably just leave it. Let it slide. <laughs> um, and then just tries to change the conversation again and says, so that what's the best bit of metal you've ever detected <laughs> yeah. in? Yeah. But Ian's just presses on, doesn't he, in the sort of drudgery of his life. Yeah, he's like, I like, know really... my wife. I know who the culprit is, Jeremy. <laughs> that's why he. And then Jeremy's like, "That's why he brought us out here. <laughs> he's going to kill me. Can you kill someone with a metal detector?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love that. Um, and Mark jumps to Jeremy's defence here because he obviously thinks the same as Jeremy, where this conversation's going. <laughs> and Mark turns to Ian, doesn't he? And he's just like, like. I know that some people can be very stupid and selfish, but really, it's a fast food, a fast food culture of instant gratification. You should be angry with, yeah. Not like, like, not, not, not Dan. Um, <laughs> Fucking Dan yeah. Walker, yeah. Because yeah, Jeremy turns out he's in luck. We think that Ian is suspecting Jeremy. Yeah, it turns out as a bit of a left turn. Dan um, Walker, we're presuming, not the BBC News presenter. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, that'd have been weird. And Jeremy takes huge delight in this. Yeah, he's like, Ian's oh, thank you, in. Dan, whoever you are. Yeah. Well, do we think that Penny is shagging Dan as well? Well, Ian then says, doesn't he? He's like, Penny's probably been doing his curtains all day. So that's obviously where she's said she's gone to or something. Or that he's gone over so she can, he can fix her curtain. He, she can fix his curtains. 
Yeah. Well, actually, she's been she's ramming down, covering him in turn of the millennium apricot. <laughs> <laughs> this is an underrated line as well. When he's up. Like, oh yeah, it was Ramadan at his place today, but he's no Muslim. Dan, what a filthy. Maybe it's time I did something. Show Dan who the Lord of the Manor is around here. What do you think? Uh, well, maybe we should just. Yeah, let's get Dan. Punish Dan. Eye for an eye sort of thing. So off they set. Well, that's what Jez and um, Ian are suggesting. Like Mark is being like, oh, maybe you should like, put something negative on the internet or like blank him yeah. at the post office. The post office. Um, or send him a horrible message. Um, and Jez and Ian are so just like, right. Like we're gonna get it. Light, light it, and he's just yeah, like, he all of a sudden. Forces Mark to light it, doesn't he? All of a sudden, we flip to the like Dan's barn, and Mark just sitting there like, "What the fuck has happened today?" Like you yeah. thought you'd be here playing Monopoly, and you've ended up an arsonist. Yeah, um, I have to say, Dan's barn goes up so quickly. It's like his yeah. hay is soaked in petrol. Yeah. <laughs> it's just within five seconds, the whole, the whole thing gone, yeah. is up. It spreads insanely. Yeah, and and this and Mark is, Mark must realise at this point he's like, fucking hell. If I hadn't said what I'd said, none of this would have happened. Yeah. If I hadn't allowed Ian to be reflective about stuff, he would have decided to do this. He's just yeah. like, and he says this like, so instead of facing up to your responsibilities, poor Dan's gonna wake up with a with um with his barn burned. He says that to Jeremy. Doesn't yeah, he? and saying goodbye to his no claims bonus. Yeah, <laughs> ever living in the real world. And they're like, we're out with a man who owns guns. You're check, you're chucking his daughter. I'm screwing his wife. It's tonight's going, if a bit weird, extremely fucking well for us. Which is got a point. Like that that evening could have taken a really really bad turn if they if he discovered the lies that both of them were yeah were spouting. <laughs> and then Mark comes out with this line, uh, the prodigy reference, which is pretty unbelievable. Uh, yeah. When he says, uh, I'm, I'm a, a fire starter, I'm a twisted fire starter. Yeah. I'm very impressed with Mark there, with all the bands in his head. Yeah, all the bands. Kasabian, Kasabian, Kasabian. So with the barn burn, we jump to the next day, and uh, they're all going for a little family walk. Yeah. Um, the group's slightly split up, isn't it? So Mark, Sophie, and her mother are, are leading the way. Um, Ian's sort of like on his own in the middle, and then Jeremy and Jamie are like bringing up the rear um, and Jamie passes Jez his CD. Yeah. And Jez does seem a, li- a little bit more smug about Jamie now. He does seem to sort of warm to the fandom or whatever you want to call it. Like when Jamie's asking him all these things about, like, oh, what's, what's London? Yeah, what's it like, like down like the, the King's Road? Yeah. Like, and Jez's Jez like, like, oh, it's got a prayer, it's got a Virgin Express. Like, it's like, oh, what a fucking, like, massive fuck off gap or something. Yeah. <laughs> and he's got, what is it, like a massive, ca- no, he's got a gap at a massive cafe near That's it. it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Jez really doesn't uh, sell it to, to Jamie. Um, but if we just go back a line, yeah. um, Mark is in his internal monologue, is sort of trying to still play it over in his head what he's going to do. And he just says, but can I really break it to her? Should I? Like, I mean, she's lovely. She's attractive. She does irritate me. Yeah. But everyone irritates me. <laughs> um, and that's just, like, Mark epitomised in a couple of lines. Just like... Yeah. What What's going to happen here? Like, the greater good of this situation, Where where where's this going to go? Well, and it's true what he's thinking. Like, he loves Jez, but fuck me, does it like, Jez piss him off and also, constantly. And also, no one is perfect. Yeah. 
for the other person. Like, we are human beings. Yeah. Like, everyone is going to irritate... Like, everyone's partner irritates them at some point. Yeah. And like, I think no one, especially for someone like Mark, like, no the one The most is easily be... wound up person in the world. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. So, Jez and Jamie having this conversation. And Jez does, at this point, sort of be like, he thinks I'm his way into the music biz. Like, so he yeah. is starting to realise that what, what Jamie's game is. Um, but he's like, nah, forget it. Music's full. We're like, Jess, you're not even in the music <laughs> Yeah, biz. I know. You're still banging on the door, like, outside in the cold as well. Yeah. So they, they turn a corner, don't they? And it turns out, so Nana's cottage is just being handed to them. And there's this enormous bow that looks like it's a massive pain in the arse to put a bow around a house. How do you get a bow that wide? Like, the, 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 the width of it... Is a f- must be like three meters, like two two meters wide. Yeah, it's insane. Like, where did you buy that from? <laughs> yeah, a hobbycraft and not selling that. <laughs> yeah, they need a bloody crane and like yeah. support scaffolding yeah. to put that thing. Up. You hold it one end, I'll take it all the way around the other side of the fucking house. It's insane. Very um, impressed. But they've done it, and so yeah, this is Nana's cottage, which is um, being given to Sophie as a birthday present. Um, well, it's for her and Mark. Yeah. Her mum makes a point of saying... Yeah, to do whatever you want with. Yes. And so I don't know whether Sophie's parents are anticipating that they'll move into it or whether they would sell it. And get a place in And London get a place somewhere still. else. And, like, Mark obviously wants to sell it, doesn't he? The way that Mark does, like, a complete 180 here yeah. is actually, like, oh embarrassingly yeah. cruel and evil. Oh, my God. Nana probably needs the roof and brickwork looked at, but apart from that, this is premium real estate. Quick sale, then cottage in the Ardennes, or a flat in Barcelona. Oh, Mark, Nana's house, and it's all ours! I know! Who cares if I don't know if I properly love her? She could have the flat in Barcelona, I can live in the Ardennes! We'd hardly see each other! Good, good um, foundations of a strong marriage yeah. going on right there. And the, it's interesting. Ian's look to Mark, like Ian knows, like hang on, like he must know beforehand because that he knows they're giving them the cottage. And I suppose there's no reason that he can say to Penny, "Don't give it to her." And Ian gives him this look, like, well, I think he's waiting to see Mark's reaction to the house and whether that does make him do this 180. Yeah, and it does. Yeah, so Ian's time. then suddenly. Having gone from, oh, actually, I quite respect you for being willing to own up to it and call it off, to now we just... If if Mark thought that the, the thermometer had reached absolute zero, like, we're now into the negatives then. But because Mark's it's... look at... Like, we see Ian look at him, but Mark's look back is just, again, like, he realises what Ian's thinking. Uh, so we next get back to the house, and uh, Jamie awkwardly asks Jez for his thoughts on that track. What does he say? He says he likes the lyrics. Yeah, and Jamie's just like, there were no lyrics. Uh, (laughs) And Jez just ignores it. Yeah, he just turns his back, doesn't (laughs) he? Yeah, he he just takes a swig of his wine and just looks away. And then Sophie comes down the stairs, and this is one of the weirdest moments. Do you think we need to sing it? Could we sing it? (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. Oh, by Altered Images. That's who sings it. I've just read it in the script. We were trying to find it before we started recording today. We were trying to find who sang it so we could listen to it and see where the background of it was from. Um, but yeah, I've just seen it in the script. It's from Altered Images. Oh. Yes, and Sophie has got this cone on her head yeah. with a little veil or something. I don't know what you call that, like a train or something that comes yeah. off the end of it. Like a proper like princess 
Yeah, thing. and yeah. she's coming down the stairs. The family are gathered at the bottom. Yeah. Mark and Jez are like exchanging like these like a guard of looks. honor almost. Yeah, yeah, it's weird, and so and Jamie, we can't do justice to this because it's an audio podcast. But like, this is the funniest dance, the dancing. Ever. And I, when I share this episode on Twitter when we release it, I'll reshare the clip of this. Oh my word, it's just awful. It's more like <laughs> it's like he's having a seizure yeah. or something, <laughs> or like doing star jumps. Yeah. He's doing this like weird like. Fitting, like just throwing his limbs out at random intervals. Just describing <laughs> it is killing me. <laughs> it's just like the most bizarre thing, and it. As I think it, it's funnier because they don't, they don't, the camera doesn't focus on it. Yeah, it's Jez and Mark exchanging these looks. Even like uh, Sophie's mum is doing this little like sway, isn't she? And then you just see like Jamie's just like off center, just doing this like flapping his limbs around. It's just like amazing. And Mark and Jez just sort of shrugging their shoulders. At each yeah, other. they're just looking at each other several times, like what the fuck is going on here? Yeah, because then even Sophie's like she's sort of swinging down the stairs, and then she gets to the bottom and she does this little boogie, doesn't she? Yeah, and then like oh, and then it. But she does at least acknowledge. She takes the hat off after. She's like, oh, God, like this old thing. Like, yeah. Clearly, it's something they've a tradition done from every when she was a year. Kid, yeah. But then Ian quickly turns his attention back to Mark and just yes. turns around and says, come on, Mark, you've got to grasp the nettle. Mark obviously is going to do a 360 here. Or not a 360, a 180. Even. Yeah. Um, and I think Ian is putting the extra pressure on because he knows. He knows for well that, he's about to do it. Yeah. Um, and he's like, it's just as a matter of fact, I've had a bit of a think and I'm not sure if I... Like I'm not really sure I want to. I don't like. I don't think I want to like cancel the wedding. Um, and obviously Ian sees straight through it. Yeah. And he's like, "Is this because of Nana's cottage?" And Mark's like, "No, no, no. Like, like there are lots of factors. Um, myriad, myriad factors. <laughs> I can't just think of the top of my head. Yeah, oh, um, it's so painful, isn't it? So we see this sort of conversation dwindling, then are interrupted by um, the news. The news the from Penny saying that Dan's barn has been burned apparently it looks suspicious yes. um and ian you don't really suss that ian is a bit leery at this point uh, before this and then he's just like oh boo hoo yeah. poor old dan i'm like yeah you're drunk like you yeah. can tell as soon as he says that um he just goes on a rant doesn't he about it, dan yeah oh, poor it's like dan. penny just like maybe you should make that your last glass yeah like obviously realising where it's going and he's like poor poor Dan poor old Dan there's a reason you're so sad for Dan isn't there because you're such good friends with Dan and Mark's just doing anything he can he knows that this could like if Ian is willing to go like this at everybody else he may well break the yeah. secret which, which, and he does. which obviously he does yeah so Mark's doing anything he can to like divert from any <sighs> anyone for a game of risk let's play another game premium the truth game. Penny doesn't want to play. How about you, Mark? Me? Tell us the truth. <laughs> the, the truth? <laughs> you, you can't handle the truth. Tell everyone. Come clean about you and Sophie. Do you know, I fancy a, a nap. A, a nice, relaxing nap. Tell them you don't want to marry her. And, like, uh. the camera pans to Sophie and it's just this absolute... Mark? Yeah, it's so close, isn't it? Because yeah. it's Mark's point of view. We can really yeah. si- see how devastated she yeah, is. Yeah. is. Um, and uh, Mark's just, try- again, tries to deflect it again. He's like, that's a terrible thing to say. And it's like, the truth is that I-, I love her very much. Does he do a weird thing where he, like, 
He puts his arm, puts his around, arm around her like really awkwardly. Yeah. Um, I love her very much, and I'm very much looking forward to love, to marrying her. Yeah. Um, and then what does Ian say back to him? He's like, what? you are a greedy little... And yeah. he doesn't actually swear, does he? No, because Mark then instantly like reacts and goes, well, I may be a lot, you know, maybe in many things, but at least I'm not a barn burner. <laughs> and it's like a bloody courtroom drama, isn't it? It's yeah. this audible gasp. Like, <gasps> And so yeah, Mark then just retaliates and outs Ian himself, and he even says, "I'm breaking down your wall of silence, Ian." Well, Ian's response is like, "Oh, thank you." Yeah, yeah, so like, awkward. "Oh, you've done me, fair play." And he's like, "Oh, even if you did threaten to break my fingers." <laughs> <laughs> he just he, he goes into real detail. Mark's is like. He made me and Jeremy watch, so we'd be accessories to the crime. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm breaking down your wall of science, uh, silence, Ian. Um, even if you did have to break my fingers. Um, and they then turn to Jeremy as though Jeremy's like the moral compass of the group. Yeah. And he's like, well, I did see him throw a petrol bomb, but I thought it might just be a joke. <laughs> yeah, for God's sake, Jeremy. <laughs> and um, then just everyone turns on Ian, don't they? And Penny tells him to, like, go to bed, like, sod off, like, let me pick up the pieces as usual. Yeah. And he just, he trudges off, doesn't he? Before... What does he say? He's like, you little shits. Yeah, no, he says, um, sod you all. Yeah. And then he, like, goes up the stairs and then he, he's gone. And Mark is sort of just left to reflect and internally he's thinking, like, okay... In a way, I've made a good impression. I mean, it wasn't me who set fire to the barn or screwed Penny. In fact, I'm winning. I'm getting half a rural cottage and all I have to do is enter a loveless husk of a marriage. (laughs) (laughs) So we then, again, flick to them leaving, don't we? Yeah, we finished the episode with the the pair. The old dude brothers are heading back to London. Turns out Sophie is staying behind because... Her dad's left for his sisters, so she's going to stay behind, look after her mum a bit. Um, And we get a little bit of a monologue from Mark as they're saying goodbye. Am I evil? I don't feel evil. It's a nice cottage. He did burn the barn. Maybe I've gone over the edge. I no longer know right from wrong. Maybe I'm capable of murder. It would certainly make life more interesting. Which and is then just wow. <laughs> Penny heads over to the car, doesn't she? She's like, she gives Jeremy some money. Yes, some money for petrol, petrol saying um, to pop back soon. Yeah, come back soon. Yeah, right. So your husband can kill me and your son can worship my stuffed corpse and you can wheel me out for a fuck. No thank you. Um, and Jez in his head's like, so your husband can kill me and your son can worship my stuffed corpse and you can wheel me out for a fuck. <laughs> yeah, that is amazing. It's so good. What like, what an image yeah. <laughs> that Jez has painted. So they, they begin to leave, don't they? Um, and Mark just sort of goes like, see you in London, Soph. Yeah, and he tells her he loves her. But then quickly goes, it's all right, everyone says it. Yeah. I, I say, say I love hagen and yeah. my broadband provider, and I like Sophie more than them, in most respects. <laughs> yeah, again, brilliant. There's so many great little monologues in this episode. Yeah. And then as they set off, uh, Jamie clings to the car door, saying that he wants to go to London with them. Mark's telling Jez to floor it, and as they head off, like Jez is literally banging on Jamie's fingers. <laughs> and he... He's like, I am fucking flooring it! <laughs> yeah, so Jamie takes a tumble on the, the driveway, and then off they go, and they sort of give a little toot of the horn, like, yeah, bye! Like, bye. <laughs> yeah. See you in London! <laughs> and then there we go, the, the, the credits roll, and Jez has got his Jez mobile. Yes, that they had yeah, the home. golf. Yes. What a bloody episode. Yeah, and I, I do I, I do feel really bad for Sophie here because... It's, all, it's end, Mark's doing. Yeah, well, she's got this 
horrible dysfunctional family. She's got this horrible fiance, and she while well, she doesn't know it, she's got this awful fiance's friend who shagged her mum behind yeah. her. Back. Yeah, actually, to be fair, this isn't a great episode for Sophie. Is no, it? I do like literally every person has screwed her over. I'm really looking forward to when we eventually get around to doing our character bio on Sophie. God, yeah, there's a lot to talk about yeah. right there. It's going to be like a four-hour special. Yes, but. Hi guys, just to interrupt here, um, we were actually lucky enough to have the chance to speak to Paul Clayton, who plays Ian Chapman in this episode, Sophie's parents, um, just before we were scheduled to release it. So we really wanted to take that opportunity, get that interview done, and then we thought it would be best to launch and include that interview with this episode to to tie them in really nicely. So uh, what you're about to hear is our chat with Paul, um, which we're really grateful for, and um, yeah, we got, we got talked about a lot of um, interesting things, got some behind the scenes information about Peep Show. So um, yeah, I hope you enjoy it. It was a lot of fun to record. Okay. Hi, Paul. Thank you very much for taking the time to, uh, to have a chat with us. We really appreciate it. Uh, it's great to speak to you guys. Yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, so, should we, should we get Well, let's get then? some questions. So um, let's start off with um, a nice uh, sort of Peep Show specifically related to peep show and um, did you know much about peep show before you filmed it? obviously there'd been four series of it sorry three series of it before you came into it um i have to say no i didn't at all and uh i hadn't seen it and i i think when i started which was 2007 it was you know pre-iplayer and everybody catching up everything on the Net. So I did look at some old clips that had been posted on YouTube um, before going in to meet the producer. And um, uh, I, yeah, I, I loved it. I, but I didn't immediately go think, why is this so fantastic? Because I hadn't seen any scripts as such. Um, but uh, certainly, you know, the to camera stuff was exciting at the prospect of doing. So I was looking it up hastily on one Sunday afternoon on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, it's quite interesting, actually, because we've, as we've been going through these, we've sort of realised how the series one to three, that the ratings weren't as strong, you know, as they later became with series, they were pot- potentially going to even cancel it, is what we've heard at the end of series three. So it was a, a bit unsure of, of whether series four was going to come. But from series four, it seemed to really take off so you, you joined at a really great time um from that first episode of series four which sort of joined at i think rob and i we're sort of trying to reserve judgment until we reach the end um but series four is certainly one of the strongest if not the strongest i think it just has a really strong through line with the wedding and i think also um it's the first time that significantly older characters are brought in and and it goes into a sort of family situation uh, and takes um, Mark and Jeremy's attitude to everything into that sort of place but it's certainly the writing in that series is is fantastic. Yeah it's almost the first time they have to deal with in sort of inverted commas proper grown-ups isn't it (laughs) even though they're in their 30s Sort of Ian and Penny are the first two 
real grown-ups that are sort of the next generation above that they really encounter. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think they are, certainly. And, you know, um, I mean, technically, I'm not old enough to be Olivia Colman's dad, but, um, uh, yeah, they are of um, another generation, another class, you know, um, and whatever's gone on with them before they meet them. I think they are quite... um, interesting to to have that clash of of the boys meeting those people and and of course it's all building through to episode six to the wedding so there's a big through line as well which i think might not have been there previously yeah absolutely so obviously you said about working with olivia coleman um when you worked with her obviously that was before her sort of now meteoric rise to to stardom did you sort of uh expect that when you were working with her, was there, were there sort of hints of that in, back in 2007? Well, I think the difficulty is that you meet lots of people who are really, really brilliant, who don't become, um, you know, fantastically big stars. And when you work with Olivia, she is a first and foremost, as I'm sure everybody's tired of hearing, the nicest of people. And she really looked after Cheryl and I when we joined. Um, and... Um, then she's funny and um, she's just a great sort of energy. So you think you are very, very good. I, I don't think anybody can um, predict uh, what's happened. I'm glad it has. I mean, and, you know, let's a um, little bit of time so that she doesn't feel too old too quickly, but let's get the damehood going. <laughs> yes, absolutely. You can't work it out. I mean, years ago, my one of my first theatre jobs, I spent a very eight months, happy eight months in repertory, sharing a dressing room with a young actor. And both our ambitions was to be in the RSC and be in plays, because that's what you did in the late 70s, early 80s in England. Uh, and he was Gary Oldman. And, um, oh, wow. <laughs> wow. One of the greatest film stars in the world now. So um, it that wasn't on the agenda. But the great thing about our career is you never know what's on the agenda. So it's brilliant for Olivia. And I'm so thrilled um, whenever you see anything that's in her and, you know, catch up with her. Yeah, so are you, are you in touch with her still then, by the sounds of that? Um, uh, I got a text on Oscar night. Oh, nice. So that was two years running. Gary was the previous year and then her. So you think, I'll just text good luck and... Um, I got a text back going, thanks, Dad. So, um, <laughs> uh, hopefully, uh, yeah. I mean, the great thing about people is you can bump into people at things and you've not seen them for ages and you just pick up where you left off. So, um, she lives just down the road from me in South London. So, um, perhaps it'll be the butchers or the organic greengrocers or something very soon. Oh, wow. I think there's always an element with, with Olivia Coleman as well, as, as people who know her from Peep Show, that she, she feels like sort of one of our own, that now she's gone on to this uh, sort of global stardom that we'll always re- sort of always remember where she started. Because um, Peep Show, although, like, you, like we said, there's a, a global fan base for it, it still feels quite a niche sort of programme that people watch. Um, and that when people discover Olivia Coleman's come from that, it's a bit like, yeah, so we, we knew about her first. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's always nice. I mean, that's um, uh, it, it, it's always nice when 
you are aware of something and then they become, you know, uh, they become a big name or a big trend or something. It's like when you discover something in the shops, you know, and then suddenly it's all over and everybody's buying it. And of course, the difficult thing is that you go, oh, well, as it's we're in with everybody now, do I stop liking it? But um, you can't um, stop liking Olivia. And brilliantly, she consistently redefines herself. I mean, anybody who saw Internus or um, was gobsmacked. I remember watching it on a plane going somewhere between series and then coming back and just not knowing what to say to her because the performance in that was obviously so different from anything I'd ever seen her do. Um, so you're just very proud that you know her and, and I'm very thrilled that I've worked with her. And um, if if my epitaph is to be um, Olivia Coleman's dad for five series, I'm quite happy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, so thinking about uh, sort of Peep Show, did you base the character, Ian, on anyone? So we sort of discussed um, in this episode, he is sort of the quintessential sort of <laughs> leave voting, UKIP voting sort of farmer. Um, did did you base him on, on anyone? I don't think he's based... I think he's a sort of amalgamation of a couple of people who I know who have those sorts of coats and go for walks in the country. I can't imagine anything more horrendous on a Sunday than having to stride across fields and things. Um, I'm a city boy, so. Um, but I do have lots of friends who have husbands that they've married into, uh, who have money from the city or wherever Ian's money comes from, and they live in those sorts of houses and everybody takes the Labradors out after Sunday lunch. Um, and there's a sort of sheltered enclave attitude to them. So I think you're right in that sense. I mean, I suppose he came out, didn't he, before UKIP was what it is today. But I certainly think he'd love Boris, wouldn't he? He'd... Um, <laughs> He'd be, he wouldn't be having any of the problems that I'm having about where to cast my vote. Uh, I think you're absolutely right. Yes, he'd be, um, let's get the country back and uh, make it great again. Well, we ran a poll on Twitter a little while ago, actually, to sort of say which of the characters would vote which way in the referendum. And a lot of them were quite controversial in terms of uh, which way they'd go. But I think I have to say that Ian was the only one that unanimously was a, was a Leave voter. Okay, good. Well, I'm very happy to say that I was very <laughs> unanimously a Remain voter, so uh, <laughs> we're inside him there's a little bit of Remain lurking to get out. Okay, so I'm a bit curious as well, so we talked about um, Ian and how he was sort of crafted, but I'm curious to find out whether they spent much time sort of explaining to you and constructing the sort of dysfunctional family that are the Chapmans with, you know, the, the marriage with Penny and Jamie, sort of the, the odd son. Did, did they talk you through that much or did was it just individual when you came together? Yeah, no, they didn't really. I mean, we did rehearse uh, for a week before we started filming Series 4 and we rehearsed um, just each episode for a day. Um and I met Robert Popper, who was the producer, to read the episode originally. And um, I remember, as you always do when you go for things, seeing some other actors they were seeing, obviously for the same part. And you thought, oh, they'd be brilliant. I know him off the telly. I love him. He'd be brilliant. Um, 
So I was quite surprised to get it, but um, Robert was very complimentary about what happened in the in the meeting. Um, but we went into rehearsal and we literally walked it through. And I think I think there's an expectation that a we would know a little bit about um, things, and a lot of what they were introducing was very new. So how we played it um, was was really up to us. Um, I mean, um, you sort of define your behaviours in a rehearsal situation. Cheryl Campbell's an actress I've admired for years, so it was brilliant to suddenly find myself in a rehearsal room and playing her husband. Uh, but you make very quick choices from looks and things, uh, and they didn't go into it, and it just, and I think that's why it worked in that they let it develop because it is quite dysfunctional and quite a bizarre family and you do want to know particularly at the end of episode one after the barn burning and everything that's happened you want to know what happens to them you're quite surprised I think in episode six to find them sitting side by side at the wedding still so um, I think the great treat is that it wasn't overanalyzed it's in the writing Sam and Jesse write brilliantly um, it's all there in the writing and we were just left to get on with it, which was, which was brilliant. Yes. I suppose it was a bit more um, organic then on, on your side and as I look from the acting side of it, just let the, the writing do the, the yeah, I mean, talk. actually, you see, the difficult thing is I absolutely adore David and on my first day's filming, he had his bag on the set and we were on a very cold country lane going to give him Nana's cottage with, um, Olivia and the way of filming it means you do everything far more times than you do on something else because everybody's point of view has to be shot and um, it was very cold and he had a clear plastic bag and it had the Telegraph crossword in uh, and that's the only reason I read the Telegraph is it's the only crossword I can do and I'd left mine in my trailer so um, I went and went was looking through the plastic bag at the crossword and he we, we bonded over 19 across or something um, and um, so it was great but then also in that scene there's quite a bit of having to hand over the house to Mark that Ian just absolutely detests um, so I just found it whenever we're on camera as long as I was looking at David with just enormous disbelief that this could actually be called a human being um, it seemed to work <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Yeah, so just going back to that, you were saying how everything had to be sort of shot and shot again because of the whole point of view um, sort of system they've got. How did you find that? I'm guessing, perhaps um, prove me wrong, had, had you worked on something like that before, that filming style? And what, what was it like? Not where you... I think it's the... Um, the scene involves six of us and we were all walking up the lane so it's one long shot and we get to the house and then you step out when the camera's doing your pov and um you do your lines from behind the camera and uh, so the logistics of it were different um but reasonably easy to understand uh, in a in a group scene i think it I, and it is that thing of being brave enough to look straight into the camera um I didn't find that a problem because when I was a very young actor, that was the mistake I always used to make. We didn't have much screen training. And um, so stage was fine. But then when you were in front of the camera, you would occasionally clip your 
click the lens with your eyes as you were, you know, sort of playing to an audience, um, which, of course, you don't really do in television. And that's something you learn much later in life. And um, so it 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 wasn't that difficult for me. But on my first day, having done that for most of the day on an icy cold winter's day in early 2007, in the second half, about four o'clock in the afternoon, we went to a pub to shoot the scene between David and um, myself, between Mark and Ian, where um, Sophie's left them to talk about, you know, the upcoming wedding. And he talks about love and the lack of love in his relationship. And um, that's the first time that you're sat alone talking to a camera. Uh, and I just found I loved it. I I just loved it. I knew at the audition, I think I read that scene at the audition with a, with my, Robert um, Popper holding a little video camera. And I just sort of grabbed hold of a camera when Ian's a bit um, in his cups, a bit drunk. And I said, he grabbed the camera as though he's grabbing hold of Mark to, to tell him what's going on. And um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. In fact, the difficulty for me, I was saying, I've just finished a few days... I go in and out of Holby City at the moment, and I've just done a couple of days on that. And I was saying to somebody, my problem was always when I'd done six weeks or so on Peep Show, was going back to something else, was remembering not to look at the camera. <laughs> yeah, I suppose you have to go completely against your sort of prior training, and then when you stop doing Peep Show, you've got to then <laughs> train yourself again to, to not look at the camera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's a big, I mean, I know in series one, they did put head cameras on actors. I mean, thank God they didn't do that when I was there, because otherwise that means you're being cameraman and actor. So we had the fabulous Nick as our cameraman and um, you're either behind him, helping him move where you looked in your particular scene, or you're looking to the, into the camera with the expression that you have for that particular person, just remembering who the camera is at that point. But I loved it. I, I, I absolutely loved it. And, and and it came to be a real joy going to do a couple of days doing that every year. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Sounds, sounds like a lot of fun, definitely. Um, so a lot of people, and I know that you responded to somebody on Twitter about this the other day. Do you know why... I know that was a bit anal of me, wasn't it? <laughs> but we, we brought it up before. Do you know why the, there was the change of actor from... Barney to Jamie, from sorry, from Jamie to Barney. Was it meant to be the same actor? And because they're they're, they're essentially the same person. Okay. Um, well, when we did series four, none of us knew if the Chapmans had any afterlife. Um, and then you get a call saying, "Yeah, um, they want to bring Ian back," and so that was very nice. Um, it was written to be Jamie, um, and you, that's quite fun. So although he's managed to step away from Mark and he's taking the tuna sandwiches back at the beginning of the episode and said, you know, here's the remnants, Mark is still managing to screw up the lives of, in this case, both his children. Um, and I think they started rehearsing it. So allegedly... Uh, I think they started rehearsing it and then um, Joe Van Moyden just disappeared. Um, I'm told he went to Paris to see one of the Geldorf girls, um, but I can't swear to that. But he just went off somewhere. Um, so they had a problem and 
obviously just introducing somebody it wasn't going to give you the shock value it needed to be somebody you had um a relationship with you know all jamie's aspirations about music and things and then them getting him involved and eventually you know involved in oral sex with super hands and everything and all that was very funny um, when you say it out loud it's just ridiculous isn't it? <laughs> i know it is um but uh i think that it was too good an episode to waste and also we i think we started i hadn't started filming but we had started making it so they weren't going to scrap that was the whole plot line of that episode really um i think when I'm going to remember the name of it. Zach walked in. The humour became quite different in that it worked because he just looked so adolescent and innocent. And the fact that another member of Ian's family, albeit one you hadn't met before, but somebody who just shouldn't have been involved in anything like that, was was caught up in it all. So I think it did work, but yes, it wasn't the original intention. I think the intention was to give jamie a through line well you've said you've solved an age-old mystery <laughs> that's been a question that's been asked so many times <laughs> yeah, I'm very, uh, and that's allegedly what happened evidently i don't know but i'm pretty sure that's that's what i was telling okay yeah that's really interesting to hear so sort of sticking with jamie i think certainly mine i think quite a few other people's one of their favorite jamie moments is his um I'm not even sure whether to call it dancing, um, but when you're all singing happy birthday to Sophie, she's coming down the stairs. Um, <laughs> what was it like filming that? Were, were, they, were you all just told to sort of do your own thing or was that planned? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody did it. It was also very cold because that house, which is a massive big house in Radlett, uh, which was Ian and Penny's house. But when you go and film in the middle of February, of course, doors are left open for cables to come through and everything. So, and that was a sort of like extension of the house with this bizarre mezzanine floor and staircase and things. And it was, it was inside the house. It was just icy cold. They kept putting blasters on so that you wouldn't see our breath. Uh, I think we were quite glad of the opportunity to move really. (laughs) (laughs) So just being, and, and that's not a song that I'm unfamiliar with. Um, so, to be asked to jig about it's not something i'm asked to do i'm not booked for my choreographic skills so um to be asked to to jump around we just all did our own thing and there is that thing that you know i go i I remember going to a family for christmas um for several years and taking my mum along and they had a bizarre ritual of going all over the house with the flaming Christmas pudding, everybody following it, singing, here comes the Christmas pudding, before you could <laughs> eat it. But you joined in, because you thought, otherwise I won't get any pudding. And um, it seems impolite not to. So I love the sense that it was this bizarre ritual that that Safe had had ever since that song came out, and that they'd all pursued, and here they were now, all grown, uh, grown-ups, uh, with the man she was about to marry. <laughs> It's a, it's, a, it's a strange old scene. <laughs> yeah. I know, I know, I know. But I just love it that things aren't explained. You know, he goes upstairs and we don't know what happens when he, whether he walks out on her, whether he is confined to his bedroom for months. You know, probably not much sex with Penny then, I think. 
Yes, very, very odd. Um, do you obviously Ian in that in the in the Sophie's parents episode is is portrayed as sort of the villain of the episode? Do you feel sorry for Ian at all as the episode goes on? Yeah, I, he's not a villain. Let's just get that straight. Uh, he's just a tragic character. Um, his wife's betrayed him. He might be dull. Um, and wants things to be orderly. Uh, and he's obviously stood by for a long time and, and, and seen the whole damn thing going on. So the fact that Jeremy primarily incites him to to take revenge and hopefully release something is a bit of release for him. But, um, yeah, I, I just think he's a, he, he's a tragic hero. Um, and I think as things go on and he keeps coming back, people are on his side. Um, you know, people are very much on his side that they think, yeah, you know, I think I might have to deal with Mark like that. So. <laughs> yeah, I think as that episode goes on, you do feel more and more for him. He seems to have just been, like, ground down by the world. Yeah, yeah. And then he's ground down by the world and then Mark's dumped into his life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the joy he has when they stand at the door of the house and Mark arrives late for the christening later on in, in series seven or whatever um, is just immense that we've called the baby after me because you're late. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that leads really on nicely to the next question, actually. I know you don't have very much screen time uh, with Neil Fitzmaurice, with Jeff, um, but... Would you have preferred, do you think Ian would have preferred to have Jeff as his son-in-law or Mark? I think I'd even have preferred Boris Johnson as a son-in-law <laughs> than Mark. Even Jeremy Corbyn. Anybody. Um, yeah, I think so. Although I, I think it would have to be Jeff simply because it was never going to be Mark. But I think there was always that problem that Sophie has probably been the apple of his eye and has been spoilt and I just don't think he could probably ever totally reconcile himself that his daughter was going to be happy with anybody um, so I think you know when he saw Mark his, 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 obviously his his heart fell uh, like a, a lead balloon so I, I just on that I think that yes and Jeff's got that little sort of scouse bounce hasn't he you know which I'm not sure whether Ian would have liked, but I always think is a is a good energy force. So I think I would give it to Jeff. Okay, that's interesting to know. So yeah, on the topic of the, of the wedding, then we're a little bit curious to um, why you thought Ian doesn't step in. Obviously, we have in Sophie's parents the first episode. It all sort of turns very ugly with the whole situation with Mark and Sophie and Ian finding everything out. Um, what? Do you, what do you make of him sort of allowing the, the wedding to go ahead? Because he's sort of defeated a bit at the end of Sophie's parents when he sort of trudges off upstairs and leaves them all to it. What, what do you think? Well, I think he knows that in his way that some of that has upset Sophie, which I don't think he would ever do. Um, and I think he realises that probably the best thing to do from that point is to take a low profile. Um, but I don't think he wants it to happen, but it's a pretty um, outrageous thing to do, to go and burn down your wife's lover's barn. Um, and he, I think the minute that's revealed, he, he knows 
he's been done for. So I think that he's prepared to go like, okay, well, if this is what you want, Sophie, this is what you have. But I'm sure there's been a few occasions where he said, but don't don't think I didn't tell you. Yeah, and when it all go and when it all goes belly up, it's very much sort of I told you so. <laughs> Mm. Yeah, but I think the thing when something goes belly up like that, your first and foremost thing is, is probably, you know, I hope you're all right, and um, uh, 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 and looking after her, and then getting on with clearing it up. I mean, you know, because the next thing that happens after jilting him at the, uh, the wedding and and him taking her out of the car and helping her get out of the car, um, the next time we see them together is in the next series that he's getting her out of a toilet and she's pissed off her head and and with the same person so i think he's there as a sort of like i just want to rescue her if i can yeah and and in answering that question you've actually answered what the question i was coming to next which was did you think it was technically a jilting by mark but i think you've clarified that you do <laughs> um yeah yeah but i think it's just that yeah i yes Yes, I think I do. And uh, but anyway, I'd, he'd blame Mark for whatever happened. Whatever happened, it would have been Mark's fault. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah, like saying it always things. is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is, and it is in every series he goes into. Um, and and there's a bit of unfilmed, unshown footage from the very last series, which it didn't need, but we did film when Sophie ends up in the bubble pit and Ian arrives again to collect her and there's a line out of the car with this is something like this is always down to you um but it actually didn't need it so it wasn't used in the final cut of of series nine but um yeah i think that's uh, that's his attitude yes yeah oh, that's interesting um one question because we've uh, we've just We'd recorded the the sort of the general uh, overview of Sophie's parents, and one thing that we were discussing while recording that was we were wondering whether Jamie was a, a baby that was born to keep Ian and Penny's marriage alive, because there seems to be a considerable age gap between him and Sophie. So, do you think that was how that was planned? Oh God, um, I, I think I, I think Jamie was probably an accident. I think, you know, Penny came home one night having had a row with somebody. I don't know whether at that stage she was still seeing Dan. We don't know how long that's gone on for. Perhaps she'd lost at the whist drive in the village or something. And perhaps, she, you know, she'd had a row over who was running the tombola. And she came home and, and Ian consoled her in the only way he knew. And, um, hey, presto, there's James. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, dear. Oh, um, so we'll just finish off with a couple of quick fire um, sort of generic peep show questions. Uh, first of all, do you have a favourite peep show episode? Could be one you're in, could be one that you're not. <laughs> I do like, I think it's five in series for the dog eating. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. You can't believe they're going to do it and then they do it. Okay. Uh, do you have a favourite character from peep show? Um, that is difficult. Um, I, I yeah, I do like. I'm, I I suppose I'm rather boring. I do, I do like Robinson. I think Patterson Joseph is just so funny. 
Yeah, fantastic. Um, yeah, very good. Uh, do you have a favourite, uh, sort of, there's a lot of very, very good one-liners in, in Three Peach. Do you have sort of a favourite quote or a favourite sort of scene? Yes, it's, it's one of mine and it's quite simply the best, I think, and people shout it at me in the street. Um, and it's a brilliant example of when you get dialogue like that, you don't do any acting, you just say the line. Um, and it's... Um, I may be a homophobe, Jeremy, but I'm no badger bit. <laughs> well, we actually bad. use it as our tagline um, in some of the promo we've been doing for the Sophie's Parents episode. <laughs> it, yeah, it's, it and people yeah. remember, uh, the, the amazing thing is, I mean, it's quite, a, it's quite convoluted in, you know, you don't find the words homophobe and badger bait are sitting side by side quite often in drama. No. Um, <laughs> but people remember it and uh, I have had it shouted in streets and, and they come up and they're very clever and they're, they're very pleased they remember it and it's brilliant they remember it. Um, it, 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 it um, yeah, I think, uh, I'm, I think I'm the proud owner of one of the, the best one-liners in Peep Show. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what's the weirdest place that you've been where someone's <laughs> called that to you? I shouted that out. That uh, Cape Verde. <laughs> in an alleyway in an African restaurant. And I was sitting with my partner and it's dark and candles and whatever. And then uh, my partner went, you do know that couple have just walked past us three times. And I went, I, I wasn't really watching. And then suddenly the girl came up to announce that to check that it was me because um, i think they don't think you really exist in the real world and then to tell me that her boyfriend was just the biggest peep show fan in the world and he sort of then popped his head round and had the confidence and literally opened the conversation with going oh, you may be a homophobe but you're no badger beta or whatever and, um, <laughs> Uh, you think, right, okay, here we are in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, how nice. He probably made his holiday. Yeah. <laughs> Peep Show fans are a curious breed. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's fascinating. All right, that, that's perfect. Yeah, so. thank you so much for your time. It's been a, it's, we've, you've answered many of our questions that, um, that, that fans have had for a long time, think about Peep Show. Um, it's been absolutely amazing to talk to you. Yeah, it's a fascinating behind-the-scenes stuff as well. It's been really interesting to hear about that. Thank you. Well, it's very nice of you to take the time and good luck with your podcasts. And um, I'll have a listen now you're on to series four. Fantastic. Yeah, thank you very thank much. You very much. Yeah, appreciate that a lot. We shall move on to the first quiz of series four, oh, which I have prepared for you. There's so much content. Yes. Yeah. Okay, let's start then. Fancy a punt on the quizzy? Shit a bit of data out of that bunged up brain box. I'll do the buttons, do the answers. Okay, question one. This is a dead easy one to get you started. Can you name both of Se uh, Sophie's parents and her brother? Penny, Ian, Jamie. Her surname? Chapman. Yeah. And for a bonus point, can you name the cousin who appears later? Barney. Very good. How many deaths was Chairman Mao responsible for? 60 million? Correct. Where does Sophie take her brother to for the night? Oh, she takes him to a gig in Guildford. Very good. Can you name the two jams that Penny makes? Oh, shit. Uh, Blair Resignation and... We talked about this. Diana Memorial. Correct. What kind of car does Penny give to Jez? Oh, she off from the golf? Yes, yeah. correct. 
What does Mark comment on regarding the cottage's state? Nana needs new roof and some brickwork. Correct. Yeah. And then finally, what are the two board games referenced in the episode? Oh, God, that's right at the end. Risk. Correct. Cranium. Correct. Very good. Full, Full score. There. Very impressive. Good start to the series. So join us next week then for episode two of series four. And like we were saying, when we were looking at the list of episodes for this series, they are back-to-back classics, really. Because next up, we've got Conference, which I, I always think should be called Project Zeus. I think that would be the better name yeah, for the Yeah, it's kind of the same as this first episode of series two, where it's the Rainbow Rhythms episode, and you call Dance Class, but you know yeah. it's the Rainbow Rhythms episode. Yeah, they missed a trick there. So yeah. we'll, we'll call it Project Zeus. So if you would like to get in touch with us, ask questions, uh, leave feedback, any of that stuff. We had some, some nice questions ahead of this episode from Twitter, which we really appreciate. So you can email us at podcastsecretsofthepharaohs at gmail.com. Uh, on Twitter is where we're most active, or I should say Rob is most active, as <laughs> sort of our social media whiz. You can find us on Twitter at Podcast Pharaohs, so um, follow us there. And on Facebook, you can just search Podcast Secrets of the Pharaohs. We are now also on Patreon, which I think is we... a new addition ah. since uh, the end of the last series. So we're up on Patreon. Um, if you haven't heard of it before, it's a way of you sort of having the chance to give back to your favourite Peep Show podcast. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and that is that is essentially what it is. It's just... Um, it's like a tipping It's platform. a tipping way of um, sort of appreciating your favourite show. So I know a lot of podcasts um, are now on there. Um, so if you head over um, to patreon.com um, and we'll leave a little link in this episode bio. Absolutely. Um, and I'll share, reshare the link on, on, the, on the social. Um, it's just a really good way of sort of getting in touch with us and there are lots of different perks too many to mention that I'm going to sort of mention them all together. Um, but I do want to give a quick shout out to the two our two first Patreons. Yes. Um, so much. a big, big thank you to Darren Friedrichs and to Robert Horvath, who have both joined us um, and are our regular banditos now. <laughs> yeah, um, yes. Yeah, absolutely. So big shout out to you two. They really appreciate that as the, the first two to take the plan. Absolutely. And like... I think we will sort of we can talk about this when we get to our one year anniversary uh, special, uh, which is TBC. <laughs> yes. Um, but to have people who are sort of tipping us and supporting us in the podcast now, um, from where where this idea came from a year ago, um, is amazing. So big shouts out to those two guys. Um, I think uh, Darren's exact words were, I had to refer to you all as turkey fuckers and tell you to support Podcast Secrets of the Pharaohs. His words, not mine. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, well, there you go then. Yeah, so thank you very much for you two. And if you are interested at all, then uh, we'll leave that link to the Patreon in the description. Um, There we go then. Was there anything else from the Twitter questions that you had that we wanted to go over? I think we covered most of it. Um, Yeah, I think a lot of... So excited to have you back. Oh, sorry, that, that wasn't a question. I just saw that one come out. That was out. just a statement of fact. Ah, here's so. a good one. We've answered most of these. What flavour would Blair Resignation Jam be? Oh, okay. I suppose it depends what side of politics you're on. Because, I mean, if you're if you're pro-Labour, it might, might be quite a bitter jam. Whereas if you're pro-Tory, it would be sweet, sweet 
made with the blood of Iraqi citizens. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Do not cut that. <laughs> Okay, there you go. That's uh, we're not going to come up with anything better than that. No. So it's, um, it is it is the blood of, <laughs> of um, and one the final people. one to ponder: if Jeremy were to be James Bond, which James Bond would he be? Oh Christ! He's not suave, is he? No. Um. Oh, that's brilliant. He'd be maybe. What was the fella that did like one? So is it Timoth- oh, Timothy Dalton? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Timothy Dalton? He's not a Timothy Dalton. I don't, I don't know. I don't, Jess can't be Bond. No. He can't be like a Connery. <sighs> that would be ludicrous. He's not a Brosnan. No. Not Daniel Craig. <laughs> He's his own little world. Yeah, this is... Yeah, I can't, I'm, I'm really sorry to uh to Chris it's more Bob- like a Johnny English. Yes, <laughs> yes, that's it, isn't it? Like yeah. fumbling his way through life, making an ass of himself. Yeah. So shout out Chris Bottersy oh. on Twitter who asked that one. I'm hoping we've uh we've categorically answered your question. Uh yeah, so there we have it then. Thank you very much for listening and thanks for joining me, Rob. Suck mummy's finger.